in Action Summit in Palm Beach County starting Wednesday afternoon through mm-hmm. Saturday morning. Action yeah, uh, is once a year in Florida, or once yes. in every state, or how no. So, so let me give a little bit of detail on that. Uh, the Student Action Summit is the largest uh, conference that Turning Point USA hosts every year. We host it in December. This year, it's going to be from the nineteenth to the twenty second. For those uh, that want to apply, it's there's still time for it. Uh, students get a student discount. Um, it's www.tpusa.com slash SAS. Yeah, www.tpusa.com slash SAS, you know, stands for Student Action Summit. And there in that very link, uh, students can find the application for it. Um, once they applied, there's only a $30 registration fee for the conference. And if you use my code, which is my first name, Driena, D-R-I-E-N-A, um, all caps, then then they would get half off registration. And Turning Point is offering like insanely subsidized hotel rooms for students as well. This is pretty it's much a, beautiful a hotel, yeah. This is pretty much a, a f- almost free conference for students because we want them to get training. They, we want them to get educated. We want them to hear cool, conservative, inspirational speakers. Um, and so you know, Turning Point will will let students stay there for all four days for twenty five bucks total you know with with the hotel and they'd have roommates and they get to network with other students so so it's very very cheap and and we also have adult tickets available yeah, we should tell the audience that uh, yeah. adult tickets are available and we're going as part of the uh, press mm-hmm. contingent yeah so um and they're on that same link as well there's mm-hmm. veteran discounts or senior discounts Will we so um anna paulina, anna paulina zoe so uh, zoe is at six Oh, I, I don't know. <laughs> You're listening to the WSQF 94.5, the concrete, concrete conservative. Who do I have the pleasure of speaking with? Uh, this is your friend from China calling you. My God, you guys have got a treat like you've Who never... Who is this? An old friend of mine from Key Biscayne. Mm-hmm. We'll call him uh, Chip. Mm-hmm. Because, of it, for the obvious reasons... Chip of the old fly. He's in deep China right now. Mm-hmm. And he can tell us what these Trump uh, tariffs uh, negotiations are doing to the country. Mm-hmm. Chip, uh, would you like to elaborate on what you're doing over there in China, how long you've been, and all that background story? Well, as you know, Manny, you and I uh, are good friends from Kibis Kane. Uh, I had assisted you in your, your love for wanting to reform the public school system there but anyway with all that said that is my history with you i did assist you what little i could right yes yeah you, yeah you wrote that editorial in my defense back in 2013 um you're you're speaking to someone in the studio can you hear me fine because we're far away yes uh, i i'm on the chinese internet and the, the, the bandwidth is very narrow and and it does come and go, so if I suddenly am dropped, don't be surprised. <laughs> oh, all right, all right, fantastic. Well, I have the, um, Diana here, Diana. Diana. <laughs> I know, Cubans get creative with their kids' <laughs> names. She's from a, a, an organization called Turning Point USA that pretty much represents the future of the United States and the conservative movement to re-identify the United States as a constitutional republic. And they have a really hard task because their peers obviously are really affected by being uh, educated in socialized schooling. Mm-hmm. So I also have my co-host here, Ed Vidal. Ed, 
speak your your mind. Yeah, mm -hmm. I will only refer to him as Chip, because he because he's in the deep woods in China uh, teaching. Uh, can I go ahead and say teaching the the government English, mm -hmm. right? It was interesting because I had been, as you know, a university professor. Uh, I had spent 10 years in graduate school, you know, had that PhD, and uh, I had pursued, uh, you know, knowledge, you know, out of love of it and discipline, etc. And uh, so I had been exposed to to um, the culture of academia, which had profoundly changed in America, one from dispassionate inquiry into one of a uh, preaching ideology so i sat in the classroom there in higher ed being uh psychologically projected upon as some sort of problem to society i.e being a uh, uh i don't know how to put this a caucasian male which is it's called white um, privilege over here yeah <laughs> now tell me uh before we go into the weeds about your experience in education which the audience might be entertained with i think we're more entertained with what type of uh, what type of influence China is doing to its people right now? Because you you expressed to me that that they're putting on the big squeeze. Well, they have a new system of social credit points. Mm -hmm. Yes. Tell please tell me what you're actually observing in the streets there. Well, I did want to conclude that I I eventually left the United States because I had been basically blacklisted and was unable to get a job in my in my discipline. So. Anyway, um, I came to China because in Asia the economies are booming, and, and this is a good place to make a living. It used to. It reminds me of what America was in the '60s, where you know there was no excuse for not having a job; they were abundant. So I came to China, and by a trick of fate, I was hired by the Chinese government itself in the Bureau of Public Education, where I design and implement. Uh, English as a second language in their public school system. So it's hard to get a job here in the entire country as an English teacher? Wait, please. Stop to breathe. I've never seen anything like it. But it is a culture of studying. But with all of that said, I did want to say that my experience with the Chinese people has been very positive. They are people that endure or historically have always endured a lot of tyranny and oppression. Mm -hmm. Now, with all of that said, when I first came here six years ago, the economy and the society was opening up to, to the outside world, and, and things were, you know, pretty good. And with President Xi's arrival on the scene of, back in 2012, there's been a slow incremental winding back of the clock to uh, the policies of Chairman Mao. Uh, total control, uh, constant surveillance of telephones, uh, street cameras everywhere, and your mm -hmm. your uh, your other uh, guest there on the radio asked about the social credit score. Now, we know in America we have we have kind of a corollary to it. You know our credit scores. You know you don't pay your bills. You, you yeah, it's, it's funny. I was thinking of that today. That I was taken aback by the social credit score. Then I woke up today, why am I so appalled about the Chinese social credit score when we've got financial credit well, score? Well, that's different. That's very I don't different. think so. I don't <laughs> think so. The minute you guys say it's different, you're accepting it's it. It's a little no. different. Credit is not 
acceptable to be scoring your credit. As long as the cr creditors Credit. are private yeah. sector entities. Yeah, that, that is true. Well, I think that you're, Big you're deal. I think I think the Chinese social credit is more in line with like Facebook Zuckerberg's yeah, uh, right. style of assigning social credit. That component, I understand. Yeah, so you're agreeing with these these freaks in here? Okay, go ahead. So I'm down one nothing. During the the website for social comments, uh, so if you in any way make a comment that that is contrary to the the then you, your credit is is lower. Mm -hmm. And you might be denied an airline ticket or a, or a bus train or whatever traveling, but also they have something like, they have like millions and millions of cameras in the street that monitor everything from crossing the sidewalks or the streets. And mm -hmm. so this is a monitoring system that, that's way, way beyond looking at your, your credit history. This is looking at your behavior. Yeah, do you get credit for taking care of the elderly? <laughs> well, here, uh, well, no, they take care of the elderly. One thing I'll say about the Chinese people, they, they revere old age. So, uh, and I don't, I, I'll go on a little side footnote here. I was in an airport in Guangzhou, China, where I ran into a, a college student, a, a young Caucasian girl. Who, who I said hello to because I hadn't heard English spoken in two years, and she looked at me and snorted, what do you want, you white privileged male? And that's when I, I couldn't believe it. Now, such behavior out of the Chinese youth would be just, uh, wouldn't even be expected. They would never do such a thing. So here I'm treated by the, the school children and the college students as we used to treat our parents and elders back in the mm -hmm. 50s, something you found in the American uh, Boy Scout manual, which mm -hmm. I understand they've declared bankruptcy because I think they've... Yeah, they let the girls in. The, the, you know, yeah, they let... Adriana says it's because they let the girls in. So now Boy Scouts are Girl Scouts or it's Transgender yeah, they, Scouts. They make yeah. them up. Okay, Adriana has a question for you. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, I, I did want to say about... You asked about the tariffs. Um, mm -hmm. the, now, you can't trust... Yeah, I had I had I had a question for you because this is something that I wanted to speak about there's also. Okay. Okay. So there's what I said. Diana's going to ask you a question. Okay. So, so my question, I guess, was why did you find it so difficult finding? Yeah. Why did you find it so difficult finding a a job here as an English professor uh, in the United States? Yeah. yeah he's, he's on, uh, he, okay. He's on internet phone. My my question is, why was it so difficult for you to find a job as an English professor here in the United States? I have my I have my I believe that the reason would be uh, something that that I was actually going to speak about um, over over the radio just now, which is the fact that conservative professors are are simply not being hired. Um, on college campuses and in public schools because since I work with students that, that are conservative and they want to start um, chapters of the organization I work with in their high schools and their colleges, one of the requirements is that they find a professor to sign off on the club as an advisor, and they can't find a single person in the whole school. So they're, they're not hiring conservative professors, and I guess the ones that they did hire are probably in hiding. Did that have something to do with it, or was it something else? No, I think I think you're getting at it a bit there. Uh, 
Feminism. Yeah. Yes. Cultural Marxism. The hiring policies at the university system in general, there's been a slow incremental favoring of uh, leftist ideologues. So if you look at like, if you go back to like an internet website of a college, uh, the faculty, you'll you'll see that the faculty is overwhelmingly, uh, uh, I, I don't mean to be it's mostly females teaching social sciences and most of them have a strong feminist agenda and it they yeah. sa- it says it in their in their entire in their biology and in the yeah. preview of, of the class and chip not only is most of the faculty socialist far left Democrat donating they also uh, the administrators are worse yeah mostly theory and you can no that's that's kind of what that's kind of the answer I I expected um, it's something that I wanted to to talk with with Ed about because um, it's something that I want to propose to the Florida legislature um, it has to do with Letting students have have free speech on on campus, having letting them have the same rights as their classmates that want to start clubs on campus that are left wing. Um, in most schools, actually, in pretty much all government schools, both high schools and and universities, one of the requirements for students to be able to start a club on campus is that they need the blessing, the signature, the write-off of a professor or a staff member that they hired for for them to be approved by the school and for them to host meetings and be able to reserve tables and and rooms and stuff. And I have so many students telling me, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mother talks to the baby. Mm-hmm. Now they're trying to like 
teach adults a, a reformed, essentially reformed, English. dangerous word version of English where we yeah. can't even use pronouns that indicate gender. Mm -hmm. So I think that... And that, that really some of the classics are also offensive to people. Yeah, and and teaching the classics are, are are now offensive to people. Shakespeare, um, you know, all these yeah. things could can be classified by the Marxist left as sexist or or homophobic or patriarch Any or book patriarchal. Any dead white men, which yes. means everything from ancient Greece. It's, to... it's very Orwellian. It's it reminds you of of you know of 1984 and of Fahrenheit 451, where literally in public schools, what they're doing is they're banning uh, books that that you know were once taught as part of the regular curriculum now they're deemed offensive and taken out yeah. of the agenda and ex and replaced with something more progressive i.e. something uh, with more of a left-wing bias um, and so that's that's what i'm i'm seeing in schools i graduated from the whole school system the k through 12 system in 2012 and it hadn't hit as hard um, i think after the 2016 elections um, you know the the real polarization uh, led professors and teachers and administrators to feel emboldened to shove their agenda down students' throats because they're scared um, that they're going to lose control in the future, just like they did in, in the 2016 election. And they become really bold um, in shoving down cultural Marxism down down students' throats. Um, and that's why I think the the whole area of academia is is very uh, aggressive towards towards conservatives which is sad because if we had more conservative professors that would be a, a good step in the right direction okay chip but here's one good uh, set of news coming up as one of the speakers at the turning point usa conference in palm beach there you have jordan peterson yep. who is a clinical psychologist at the university of toronto and he has been a very effective author and spokesman for what I would call the conservative view, although I'm not sure he would call himself conservative. He's got a book out, which is one of the top sellers on Amazon, called 12 Rules for Something... For uh, Engage. For engage. 12 Rules yeah, for Life? I saw him or at 12 the, Rules I, for I Engagement. Okay. Okay. I think it's 12, rules, three, 12 uh, rules for Life. Right. So he's good. he makes the conservative case against things like you know gender-neutral pronouns, and uh, I think he's having a very good effect, mm -hmm. and I think his... His notoriety, his prominence, has prevented the University of Toronto administration from coming down on him, mm -hmm. uh, because other other faculty who would do something similar uh, really face ostracism at best, denial of tenure or whatever. I think the one good thing, though, that comes out of this whole um, aggressive shoving down of cultural Marxism down students' throats is that when aggressive. It's that when you, yeah, it's that when you force something upon somebody, uh, they tend to reject it. And so these students that are being told by their teachers that they need to walk on eggshells, uh, you know, they have to almost walk on eggshells when they say anything, that they have to use gender neutral pronouns. Um, I feel like that's something that they reject entirely. And that's why we're, they're saying that Generation uh, Z is going to be the most conservative generation yet, because they grew up in these public schools having to, you know, having to regulate themselves, what they say, what they truly believe in, and have these professors, uh, you know, oppressively grade them based on what, what they believe in. Um, 
this Generation Z is generation of 4chan, of Reddit, of, you know, trying to get out their true beliefs via some kind of, of form that's, that's not in school because in school they can't do that. Um, and the fact that school administrators are pushing this worldview on them, I think makes them reject it a lot. When you tell a student that's 12 years old in their teens Jim, that that there's more than that there's more than two genders and if you don't believe so you're you know homophobic or, or you hate people um, they're going to look at you as crazy and they're not going to want to do with anything that, that you're involved with. When you tell a group of students that are, you know, in their teens that the fact that they exist, the fact that they're white, the fact that they're male, that, that they're being oppressive on somebody else, they know that that's not true. They're going to look at that teacher as, hmm, that's my crazy feminist teacher. And I, when I get the heck out of class, you know, I'm going to do what I want. And when I get to you know, when college, when I get to college and university, I'm going to do whatever the heck I want. There, there's pushback against it. But it does, Chip. Okay, from from the standpoint of you being with us today, I think the chance is for us to. I think Anna Paulina's trying to call in, but it's busy in both lines. Yeah, because I don't have the I don't have the two lines. Okay. All right, so Chip, uh, I can I only have you for like one or two more minutes. Give us a quick synopsis of what the Trump uh, tariff war has done to China. And what you observed before Trump administration and after in terms of what you discussed with me about China squeezing its people, how can you, I want the American people to know, our audience to know what it's like and what we take for granted here. And I want you to be very clear and concise in about three to five minutes because I have other calls coming in. Uh, uh, What is it you're sensing in the streets and how, how are the Chinese subjected to uh, you know, communist rules. I think Americans need to understand how free they are. Mm-hmm. Well, you and I talked about the Cuban experience, and you know, being mm-hmm. a, a resident of Key Biscayne all my life, I used to hear the stories, but having not experienced it, you know, I, I thought perhaps these were just embellishments, but I've come to see that they're not. The Chinese people live in fear. They, they smile all day at you because they have to hide behind a mask. Uh, of civility, so no one dares say anything. Now, as far as the tariffs, the tariffs were imposed, as we know, because of these these massive trade imbalances. So, the Chinese, as they became, you know, more powerful, you know, economically, the government has become more bolsterous, uh, revealing its true uh, tyrannical nature, claiming entire oceans like the South China Sea, bullying their neighbors to the south. So in the past, the Chinese government, you know, was very accommodating and would basically put gifts on you, and and, and you could call that bribery. It's not really. It's a cultural way of dealing with people, but they are generous people, but as they became more powerful, uh, that generosity has been replaced by the the red fire dragon and its true nature wanting to dominate. So the people here live totally, uh, how do I say, they the kowtow, which, you know, is a, a, a Chinese word meaning to bow. Mm-hmm. So no one dares challenge anything. And so the tyranny 
is getting worse. Like I said before, she arrived on the scene, President Xi, things were getting better. But it's been incrementally getting worse. Uh, now you see more political indoctrination in the schools of the students uh, to, to the, the nationalist agenda here. They preach fear of America or America's evil. Also, oh, North Korea kind of stuff. <laughs> Yeah, you know, so they so working in the public school system, I see the, the, the political lies taught to the children, and that's the key that everyone, the real political power people always knew, like Stalin and Hitler, that you need to get to the children well in advance, and you need to poison their minds with mm -hmm. your ideology, which is lies, and we saw that what happened in America. Over 30 years, they were teaching college youth, impressionable, idealistic college youth, you know, these ideas of, of virtuosity, you know, and liberalism, which we know the real liberals were, you know, 200 years ago, which meant liberty. Mm -hmm. And so we now see that, uh, that that agenda, we know when the Soviet Union collapsed that they found, uh, you know, that ideology found a good home in America. And I did want to conclude that ultimately this political, this, this, this identity politics has turned the virtues of the woman being the feminine, you know, creator of life into something bad, and the virtues of the male being the chivalrous male who protects the woman and the children and the family, like King Arthur, apparently now are vices. And so this has really upended the, the rational behaviors of the male and the female and demonized them. They don't have that problem in China. They don't teach this absurd identity politics. What they teach here is loyalty to the nation and america doesn't even teach that anymore yes. so you know, in other words you think to the, to the bill of rights i mean now the okay. bill of rights apparently is, is bad and... i don't know all right well i'm gonna let you i'm yeah. gonna let you go now someone keeps on calling us yeah. i see her on call waiting and we got to continue with our topic matter can we get you next monday as well Yes, sir, if you would like, and, and I'll, I'm sorry, I should have focused more on China, but I did want to also, you know, make my comments about my own country in America, which I fear for, and I'm glad that you and your guests, you know, are trying to push back against this irrational, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, whatever's happening there. It's not yeah. rational. And it, it it's just, co it's just called the progressive yeah. virus. It's like a... Well, we're called turning point for a reason. We're the turning point that's going to yeah, happen in the universe, in the college here. system, and the Did public Ina school system. Adriana, <laughs> would you uh, would you tell us and help me, please? Yeah. It's but it's Adriana, 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 the I before the E. <laughs> the I before the E. Yes. Adriana. No. Yep. All right, Chip. Weird, so, uh, thank you for this. Is our, our first. Uh, Spontaneous call. I'm glad you uh, you were actually able to get through it. Now I know that the, the technology is going to be working for you, providing nobody cuts you off. Mm -hmm. But uh, we'll we'll speak to you again next Monday. Thank you very much, Mr. Cambo, and thank you, your guest. Thank and you. And we'll speak with you all later. Bye you, bye. You bet, man. Stay free if you can. Okay. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So I really wanted him. Um, <laughs> You know, he's, a, he's an educational freak, and quite frankly, mm -hmm. he grew up liberal. He yeah. wasn't a conservative growing up. His father served in the Carter administration. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Andrew. Anna. It says Gambria. Oh, I don't know. This is the Concrete Conservative. You're speaking live on the radio, WSQF 94.5. Who do I have the pleasure to speak with? 
Hi, this is Anna Paulina, the director of Hispanic Engagement with Turning Point USA. Oh, say hi to your associate. Hi, girly. Can't wait to see you tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you for your patience. We just had a spontaneous call from an old friend of mine from China, and mm -hmm. he was telling us what was going on in China, and he's an educator there with the government, so he has a, 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 some kind of uh, scrambled line, I think. It's got a VPN line that he works from mm -hmm. over there so he can speak to us and tell us the truth about what's going on in China. So, carry uh, on. What would you like to speak about today? Um, I guess really kind of what my job is with Turning Point and how we're kind of working to make a difference among millennials. Mm -hmm. Oh, boy, do we need you to do that. Yep, and especially and among Latinos. Absolutely. And what's been so incredible about this whole thing is, I'm pretty sure Adriana can attest to this, but how young everyone in the organization is. And I think mm -hmm. that because of that, we've really been able to target a lot of younger kids, especially via social media, because as we all know that we're moving away from more so the mainstream media, i.e. newspaper and the news, and really turning to social media outlets to kind of word of mouth for getting information, especially what's happening politically. Mm -hmm. what, what kind of social media, like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, is that what you're looking at? Yeah. Uh, so tw Twitter and Instagram are definitely probably the bigger platforms. Um, mm -hmm. I know that I used to have Facebook, but I think a lot of people are moving away from Facebook. Yeah, that, that was my point, and, uh, that I think a lot of those social media oases are really traps, and you can't trust yeah. them. Yeah. Well, what we're finding now, too, and I think that it's blatantly obvious at this point, is the amount of censorship that people are experiencing. But um, I definitely say that the censorship, although it happens among the bigger platforms, what's happening is the more that they're trying to censor, the more that, at least in my opinion, what I'm seeing is there's a bunch of smaller profiles that are popping up, you know, on Instagram or Twitter that are still getting that message out there. So I think the Internet's been a pretty good tool um, for that. But then, you know, I always say to resort back, one, to radio, because radio is actually what I've been working on a lot recently. Um, it doesn't happen to be as censored, and there's not as much, I guess, political, quote-unquote, correctness that goes on, because we see that a lot no. of people will try to censor other people by saying, oh, that's not politically correct when in actuality, you know, if you're truthful, you're going to be considered politically um, incorrect these days. So I think that that's really a, a, a yeah. good you know, avenue to always use. But also, too, I mean, I cannot tell you how many people have just reached out just seeing what we're doing at Turning Point, kind of saying, hey, you know, you guys really helped me kind of find my voice, and because of that, I want you to know that I'm speaking out now. Well, let me tell you about uh, radio. I think it's a good point that you make. But we also, uh, this radio station is also on the Internet, so we're on wsqfradio.com forward slash live, and we're also on satellite radio. Yeah, Radio Garden, radio.garden, so, and you can Google us by using the Google map because Radio Garden uses the same software. You uh, see all the live streams all over the world, so in other words, you can, you can... You okay. can listen to Brazil, you can listen to Russia, you can listen to China yeah. and the United States. Annapol but you go down to look for Key Biscayne, the physical... Right. Anna Paulina herself is pretty big on Instagram, so okay. she's got a, right, a, right. a big following. How many um, are Yeah, and, and so that that's really big in, in helping her spread her message to, to millennials and, and to Hispanics. So, Paul, uh, Anna, you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, and tell us especially, <laughs> what do you find works with Hispanic, Hispanic young people? probably my biggest hitting platform so I have 161,000 people that follow me on there um, and you guys can see all of my stuff and my kind of my political blogging at real on on Twitter and Instagram but what I'm doing and what we've been doing so 
What's really neat about this and kind of to explain why this position has been so important and why really Drew is even helping out with this too is that Hispanic, especially conservative Hispanics, are not being given a voice, especially mm -hmm. in the mainstream media, because what we're finding is what are the number one issues that they're trying to make for Hispanics to make them single-issue voters, and it's on immigration, mm -hmm. right? They're trying to paint out this picture of conservatives, of Republicans being quote-unquote xenophobic, mm -hmm. when in actuality we're seeing that if you have an immigration policy that's, that's done correctly, that it's protecting people on both sides, and by the way, illegal should not just remind you of Mexicans, right? There's illegal mm -hmm. from all around the world that try to come to the United States. But what they're trying to do, because Hispanic Americans, specifically Mexican Americans, mm -hmm. according to PewHispanic.org, are the number one voting minority here in the United States. So we see that, you know, not only are they targeting blacks, but they're targeting targeting Hispanics. And then because of that, mm -hmm. if you do go against this mainstream narrative of what they want you to think, you're then called racist or xenophobic. And I think that you know, especially for me being from Los Angeles, I, there's not a racist bone in my body, but ever since I, you know, came out as a conservative, I've been called probably more racist things. I've been, like, mm -hmm. race, my skin color is always a topic of discussion yeah. to people on the left that are quote-unquote accepting and, you know, mm -hmm. quote-unquote woke. Right, because Hispanics are supposed opinion. to look a certain yeah. way according to the left. Yeah. Uh, pa Anna, Paulina, unless you are willing to take the being called racist and answer back, you're not going to be effective. Mm -hmm. You have to exactly. not be afraid yeah. to be called a racist or xenophobic or whatever. For example, here in Florida, we had a black uh, governor candidate, Kevin Gillum, who took two Andrew Gillum, Andrew yeah. Gillum, <laughs> Andrew Gillum, who took two Hamilton tickets from a developer who wanted to do business with the city of Tallahassee, where he mm -hmm. was mayor, and his associates were convicted for other things. Andrew yeah. Gillum is a crook. But if you call him that, then he calls you a racist. Yeah, actually, so, that, was, that was that was a point of conversation. Yeah. You're racist if you don't agree. And I'm like, well, if I'm uh -huh. racist, then you're prejudiced and you're a bigot. Right. They don't yeah. like that. And that actually happened at a UVA last, or a week and a half ago when I was at Turning Point. I was, you know, met by protesters, and these people were saying that, you know, mm -hmm. here I am a Latina. They're saying that I was a white supremacist and that, you know, tasers yeah. are, are, are deadly weapons. So it's like that mentality. That's crazy. Social yeah. retardation of America that they're trying to do is just mm -hmm. not working. But and and the way that and the way that the yeah. that the left really represses our conservative message to other Latinos is because they control Hispanic media. Univision and Telemundo are the two major uh, Hispanic news channels that, that people watch. And if you have a language barrier and you don't know English and you recently came to this country, those are the two channels you're going to tune into. You think they're going to have somebody like Ana Paulina on there live speaking her mind and telling the truth or somebody like me? In That's Spanish, not, yeah, right? Yeah, in Spanish. That's not the case. In fact, I've, I've experienced this. It's very rare that they'll allow you to do a live interview or a live debate. Um, it's usually pre-recorded, so then they can edit it um, to to really change your message or or to cut out you know important parts of your message. And I think an important thing is to create our own platforms as Hispanics, uh, Spanish you right. know uh, well, speaking is, platforms, this, so we can get yeah. our message out there. WSQF yeah. operates in English and Spanish. Uh -huh. Yeah. As appropriate. Somos bilingüe. Yeah, sí. right. Aquí Aquí se habla inglés, español. ¿De dónde eres? Uh, from Los Angeles, California. Uh-oh. So, uh, Puerto Ricana o... Mexicana. Mexicana, of course. Sí. Sí, me parece a mí. Así, un poco. 
Uh-huh. Yeah. See, Mexicans are 64% of Hispanics in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And certainly in California, they're probably like 80%. Same thing mm-hmm. in Texas. And in Cubans are only 4%. Yeah. We're heavy hitters in uh, California, New Mexico, and Texas. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and and, we're, and Mexicans are voting way too much for Democrats. So we got to So why are Mexicans such Democrat voters? Free stuff. All these free things they do, the same thing that they were doing in the black community. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, we want you here. We're gonna, you know, hook you up with all this free stuff, and they're not realizing that they're actually one, not even being taken care of appropriately. All right. But two, it's like eventually, and and sorry to kind of talk over you, but you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because my mom's husband is a legal American citizen from Mexico, and he talks about all the time how. He used to be a Democrat until you realized that they were just doing that to get him to vote a certain way, and then right. he walked away. So it's, it's really sad. Okay, well, uh, Anna, before I moved to you know beautiful uh, Miami and uh, Dadeland, Florida, <laughs> I were I, li- I lived in Houston and worked there for four years. And while I was there, I worked with the Harris County Republican Party. And my job became to be outreach director to the Hispanic community, which was mostly, almost exclusively Mexican. And I was able to get a a, a group of uh, LULAC uh, council to come out as conservative Republicans. LULAC is the League of United Latin American Citizens, which is very left-wing and democratic. Mm -hmm. So LULAC uh, was very active in Houston, but I got one of their councils, the chapters, to come out. And the thing that I, I tried was, first of all, I said, well, you know, we Latins are like our fellow Latins, the Italians. You know, we should be like the Italian immigrants. They integrated. You know, they were mobsters, gangsters, Vito Corleone and Michael Corleone, some of my heroes. And But the Mexicans said, no, no, we're not European. So that works with the Cubans. So then I said, look, look at the black immigrants. What's happened to them? They have totally been given over to dependency on government. Mm-hmm. And since 1965, uh, the Great Society, the war well, that's on all, poverty. That's all, that's all minorities for, for the most part. Um, yeah, they're you like know, vampires on what they do to minorities. That's true. And you know what's crazy is that it, it's truly evil um, what left-wing politicians do to minorities because they know the consequences of their policies. They yeah, know, it's virtual, it's they know, slavery. yeah, they well, know that that creating a dependent population of, of welfare is going to keep those people in a cycle of poverty their entire lives. Right. In fact, 70% of the people that start on some kind of government welfare stay on it right. for the rest of their lives. So they know that that first check, that first, you know, dependency check is going to keep them in the grass for the rest of their lives and it's going to keep them in a poor situation for the rest of their lives, and they still push it. I can't say that Democrat and left-wing and minority voters are bad people. They honestly feel like these policies are for the betterment of their community. Um, they just don't know, the, they don't realize the outcome, and it's really gotten to the point where we have to make Latinos feel outraged at the fact that they've been manipulated this way for so long. And that's what Yeah, and that's why, you know, Anna Paulina's job is so important and, and you know why I try to help as much mm-hmm. as I can reaching out to the Latino community. Well one way to look at it is go- government dependency produces broken families, fatherless children, mm-hmm. gang violence, school dropout, and if that's the way you want to go, why'd you bother to come to America? <laughs> countries and they'll put these pictures of women and children fleeing from quote-unquote tear gas mm-hmm. when in actuality you're looking at them blatantly ignoring the fact that these policies if they were enforced correctly would actually prevent these people from even having to leave their countries in the first place mm-hmm. because it's a correlated cycle of if you have countries that are having you know, have the 
billion dollar industries that are profiting from selling drugs into the United States and we're trying to directly combat that, not to mention the human trafficking aspect. Mm-hmm. It's like they don't want to fix the problem. If they can make these people come here, they can, you know... It, it's yeah, Sarah, I think Sarah Palin said it best. The Democrats ran out of voters and now they're importing right. them. Yep. Ill- illegal yeah. immigration is a Democrat voter registration drive. Yep, that that's true. Okay, so now are you going to be down here in, in Palm Beach, Anna? Yes, I'm actually going to be heading out tomorrow for SAS. So that's going to be from the 18th to the 22nd. And it's going to be um, one of our biggest conservative conferences. And we're expecting up to 5,000 students from all around the country to come. So really excited about that. I will be there speaking. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, uh, say all the, um, or I should say, uh, Miss Sixto for the, uh-huh. the, few, <laughs> the few more months that we'll have you as a Sixto. Uh-huh. What's, your, what's your new last name going to be? Um, so it's probably going to be a hyphenated Sixto Coto. Oh, yes. <laughs> okay, yeah. so uh, let's tell our audience again uh, mm-hmm. the, the basically the website. Where yeah, so you- so if you want to come see Anna and also see me and um, many more of our awesome, you know, Turning Point staff, the Student Action Summit in West Palm Beach, Florida, and the Palm Beach Convention Center in downtown West Palm Beach is going to be the 19th through the 22nd, and the website to get your tickets for this event, your adult tickets, um, or your student application is www.tpusa.com slash SAS. So TPUSA. Yes, and they're waiting fees for Florida students. Yeah. Get in for free if you're Floridian. <laughs> uh-huh. So if you use the, um, the, the discount code FLOCAL, F L O C A L all caps then you yeah. get yeah then you get your discount code for the entire event so flocal F L O C A L um so there's no reason if you're a conservative parent and your kid is not doing anything for these next couple of days and their school's out that they shouldn't be there at that conference you know kind of undoing the damage from the rest of the semester that their professors had on them um and if you live nearby uh, west palm beach florida then then this is a great opportunity for you for you as well so we're welcoming everybody and and we'll see you soon there and i can't wait to see anna (laughs) okay now, now let's talk about some of the speakers yeah, I mean Anna's one of our speakers, but we've got quite um, quite the lineup. Anna, you want you want to talk a little bit about yeah, that? We have Don Jr., Kimberly Guilfoy, um, Rush Limbaugh is going to be there. Jesse Waters. I, I mean, literally probably everyone who's conservative on Fox will be there. Yeah, everyone Not that's anyone in conservative politics. The in the conservative movement. So. Me personally, I'm just excited to go. Kind of, and, and what they so Denise too, right? Denise D'Souza. Yeah. They they went and basically brought together even the biggest names on social media that are like running these independent pages that are getting the news out there, right? Mm -hmm. So there's um, a couple pages. There's DC Drano and then a typical liberal. So what they've done is they've created basically this event, and it's somewhat trendy, right? And I Mm -hmm. think that you can kind of add to it, but it's probably one of the more politically trendy events. It's making being conservative, being into politics as a young person cool again. Mm-hmm. Yep. So um, it's going to be a pretty awesome event. We have a ball coming up on the 20th at Mar-a-Lago, and then as well as um, a student leadership ball as well. So there's going to be two formal events, and we really hope that everyone does kind of come out and check, at least to come check it out and see kind of what it's, what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Now, do uh, uh, you encourage uh, high school seniors as well and juniors, or is there a yep. cutoff? No, it's uh, no, 15, 15 oh, to 15. 25 uh, for students, and, and then... It, Unless you're a student that's an adult, then I guess that counts as well. 
Um, so yeah, you can be a, a senior, I think even junior in high school or. Well, in or, other words, everyone yeah. is to us right now. Actually, I think even freshman, because I remember turning. Student. Yeah, I, I remember turning 15 when I was in ninth grade. So high school yeah. student. <laughs> I think the youngest I've seen there was a sixth grader at a young women's leadership summit. Yeah. So. If you can come with a parent, you're more than welcome to come. Exactly. Oh, fan- uh, well, fantastic. Start them young. <laughs> All right. So uh, is there anything else you want to do uh, to say, Anna, while you have us? And can we have you call back uh, on another Monday? Um, we would love to have you again here on Blink Radio, WSQF 94.5, with a concrete conservative. And I'm really excited because the future is with you all mm-hmm. and us, uh, us. Old folks, uh, I'm calling myself old, and I, you know, I can't stand the idea of calling myself old at 54. But I just look at my goatee, and I realize it's more white than it is black, so I might as well admit <laughs> it. And I realize that we screwed this thing up real seriously for you guys. And since you're looking down on your phone, Turning Point USA is the only the only lifeguard there's left. So mm-hmm. I can't thank you guys enough for what you're doing, and pretty much save your country because my generation won't. <laughs> It's no, other than that, just, you know, don't be afraid of speaking out. There's plenty of people that probably think the same way that you do. But, um, you know, it's it, well, you really take back your life and you take back your country when you're not afraid to speak out anymore. And I think that that's just an important takeaway from this entire message is don't be afraid. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you very much for the call and uh, stay free, darling. <laughs> of course. Talk to you guys later. Bye. 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 Yeah, that's, so, yeah, so I like that she mentioned that don't be afraid. Um, lots of students don't feel that there's other people like them out there that they can network with or communicate well, with. That's um, what and, Turning and Point be, USA is exactly, for. Exactly. Yeah. We, we link people up together. I think one of the most enriching experiences that I had was at the Young Black Leadership Summit in Washington, D.C. about a month ago. Um, there were so many students that came from all parts of the country, um, many of them that hadn't even gotten on an airplane before, and they came for this particular event. That and they, felt they like, had an ID card to get on the airplane, right? Yeah. So they could do for vote. Yeah. So, um, and they, you know, they felt that they were the only ones that felt that way. That there were almost no black people that like right. that identified with conservatism, and that they were a minority, and they should be ashamed of that. Um, but then they went to this event, and they found a family. And they found, you know, their voice and they found conviction in, in what they believe in and, and, you know, felt empowered to to really stand up for themselves. And so to see that change, to see that, you know, moment um, was was really moving for me. And I know that those people, all of them went back to to back home to share their experiences about Turning Point, about conservatism, to share our real message with them, because their communities might not even give us a chance might yeah, not give us a radical. chance yeah might not give us a chance to reach out to them we the policies that we propose would help minority communities that's what we want and however we're vilified and we're called racist and we're called xenophobic and that's not the case so to have people that are representatives of this community tell them hey guys they're the they're the good guys the other ones aren't at least give them a chance so you can hear their message. Like Trump would um, say, what do you got to right. lose? Well, exactly. At, you know, um, that, that that was really, really inspiring. Well, at 6.05, we have Zoe Bethel. Exactly. Who went to that conference. Mm-hmm. She's a black woman from Model. At, Atlanta. Well, yeah, she, she, <laughs> she works for Marriott at, mm-hmm. in their hotel business, but mm-hmm. she also has a modeling career. Mm-hmm. And when she got back to Atlanta, she was dismissed by her modeling agency. Yeah, she had her white female modeling uh, manager slash employer 
message her to tell her that because of her racist political affiliations, that she was going to be released from her contract. So, yeah. And you imagine, I mean, I don't know how people don't look at themselves in the mirror and think twice about what they do or say, but you imagine a white woman, a white woman telling a black woman that she's racist for not being a Democrat, for not being a leftist and firing that girl because of it. Back in the 80s, if you listen to Mm -hmm. rock and roll, all of a sudden you lost your scholarship. Exactly. But but Zoe. Well, we told her to come down here to South Florida, and we'll help her <laughs> relaunch her modeling career. Yeah, Absolutely. Zoe's Zoe's great. She came out stronger than ever. I know. Um, she, I, I feel like she became emboldened through the experience. Um, also, it's a harsh uh, wake up to reality of of what happens when you don't tow the line um, that the left well, sets a for of you. Uh, so Kanye she'll she'll got, speak. Yeah. Well, Kanye I think Kanye West has gotten zapped. But uh, yeah. this last week, she'll speak on her own experience better than than I can. This last week, so. Trump vote, uh, signed a uh, urban opportunity zones initiative mm-hmm. yes. of up to 100 billion. You have not seen that nope. reported media in the blackout. mainstream media. No, and I had a I had a blog argument uh, for two days now mm-hmm. with some liberals, mm-hmm. and when I posted that very link with uh, the the president of the BET Black, Black Entertainment, Entertainment Television, yeah. yeah, what did they reply? Why when why in the hell? What I want to hear about that house, Nick. No, word, no, no. And I go, why are you guys calling this him? This guy's that? a very goes, successful yeah, businessman. I'm a black man. guy, and I can call. I can no, call a no. token black guy who sells out to the, the conservative this guy calls. Is I can a, call a, him the house. No. This guy's a. This guy's a they have it guy. worse than they. I think conservative well, minorities. Are very against other blacks who become yeah. conservative. I yep. think, yeah, conservative minorities. Very discriminatory, I should say. Conservative minorities have it more difficult than. Anybody else who just decides Not to? Not Cubans. We we enjoy it. Well, Cubans are <laughs> actually Cubans are literally the one. Well, we're the trendsetters. The right. one we're talking about this stuff. Since the one exception, because I think that it became very clear um, to to you know our parents and and you know people are to our generation to what me, our parents fled from. I came when I was nine. Yeah, well, wow. you, you also so, understood. So yeah, the, the, our parents. The mistakes of uh, John F. Kennedy. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Like our parents, our parents told us what socialism was, what communism was, um, and it was very blatant. Comunismo y socialismo. Comité de Defensa de la Revolución. Yeah. yeah. So, so Cuba the community of the from the revolution where they right. brought you out. Yeah. So if you buy something new, where did you get that? If you got a new pair of clothes, where did mm-hmm. you buy those shoes? Or someone the from pro- sending yeah. it to you? The problem with the rest of Latin America and why they aren't so openly against the left, which is you know, the beginning to socialism and communism is because in their governments, it's not blatantly called communism and socialism. They're progressive, you know, they're the left wing party. They're statists and collectivists. Exactly, exactly. But but it's not completely... So are our... It's not blatantly, it's not blatantly labeled as communism. It's government school. Government school. And there really isn't a right-wing opposition. The most you'll get is a right-of-center opposition. There's no central capitalist group. Exactly. You either get the right-wing military dictatorship, which is not good, Mm -hmm. or you get the left-wing socialist leading to communism. And, And the other thing is that... 
they have a warped conception of what human rights are. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, even in the Declaration of Human Rights, there's stuff in there that aren't really right, human you have rights. A right to exactly, like you have a education. right to health care, yeah. you have a right to education. Absolutely. These things aren't rights. They're you know they're oh, services they're... exactly. They're services, and so yeah, and so they they've never heard the idea of complete free markets of laissez-faire capitalism right. of living and letting somebody live and i think that should be by the way something that i wanted to touch upon uh later the message of the republican party and of the right um in general here in this country our message should be live and let live i think that would attract yeah. a lot more people and it's also the essence of what we stand for the leave there, me alone coalition. exactly yeah. there's there's some however there's some there's no, there's a lot of prominent leaders. There's a lot of prominent leaders in the GOP and and in Congress that somewhat, yeah, that somewhat, you know, embrace this live and let live ideology, but not completely, and they lose a lot of people because of that. So that was terrible. <laughs> now it knocks off Facebook Live. Because I, oh no, we're still oh, alive. We're still, we're still alive. alive. Okay. There we go. So, All right. So, there's some, you know, for younger generations, a really important issue that we don't talk about a lot is, you know, drugs and, right. and you know, the. Well, marijuana. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Specifically marijuana. And. What's that? Well, look, the Republican yeah. <laughs> candidate for Secretary there's of so Agriculture many, yeah, there's, lost mm -hmm. because of his opposition to medical marijuana. Yeah. And, and it shouldn't just be the. It. And it shouldn't just be the talking about medical marijuana but if you don't want the government to tell you what to do in your life to legislate morality to tell you that one religion is better than the other religion then you shouldn't that you you should use the same standards when it comes to narcotics you know mm -hmm. people that are adults can smoke cigarettes which we all know cause cancer you can consume alcohol which we all know destroys your pancreas and if you get in a car that you it endangers other, other people, people right? and yeah. you can kill yourself as well so but they're adults and we treat them as adults and you have the the right to to really do whatever you want with your life and and with your body your the same thing doesn't the same thing doesn't apply in this specific case and so many people's lives are destroyed because of the government infringing on their mm -hmm. personal life, telling them that, you know, there's a sense of morality that they're imposing upon themselves. What's worse, you know, letting some and I don't I'm not a user. I've never in my life used it. Right, no, but why is somebody else's life being ruined because they decided to smoke not. weed right. instead of a cigarette? And then they're being put into jail when they get out of jail. They can't get a job. They have a history. Who knows what traumatic experiences they might have gone through in jail oh, simply because of an offense, because of a victimless crime. Right. That should be that should be the word. Victimless crime. Anything that you do that doesn't affect the lives of another person, that doesn't hurt another person physically, that doesn't hurt their pocket, mm -hmm. you know, then then why should we be trying to legislate on that? And I think the right is losing a huge opportunity to bring in people that are centrist and people that are from the left that simply don't want the government telling them what to do. Well, and it's because we have... Trump has succeeded at doing? Oh, yeah, he's, well, he's great. people from the left to mm -hmm. it just right. because of his name, not really because of our conservatives. Yeah, because he's not a politician. Trump. Exactly. He's... Uh, especially, you know, coal miners and blue-collar people because he spoke like them, talked mm -hmm. like them, and he became a, a simpleton, but mm -hmm. in a rude kind of barroom brass knuckle kind of way 
-hmm. that really, really had yeah. women who admired the chivalrous men mm -hmm. really turned on by that and listened to him. And men, the real macho men, are tired of being unemployed. They also <laughs> gravitated to him. Mm -hmm. The question is, how can the Republican Party mold itself to mm -hmm. uh, support the president who's under siege mm -hmm. and realize that we made a terrible mistake? And this is what, something we have to say for many years out loud. The 43 congressmen who chose not to run for re-election. Oh, they're they're mm -hmm. cowards. They're corrupt. But we need corrupt. to emphasize yeah, that. They're we cowards. We need to emphasize that Fox's news is, is making oh. Pelosi think that she wants something no. when 43 congressmen, right. the only three the ran Repu for The Republican mm -hmm. establishment and leadership gave up the House. Yes. Through their cowardice, that should be the their theme. corruption, and, and the fact the they're say, not conservative. The speaker's at turning point. In many cases, they're not. that, like someone like so uh, turning, Carson. So the thing is that turning point itself, we don't ally ourselves with any party or with any candidate, so we're not going to push the Republican Party, the Libertarian Party, or any kind no, of party. No, not the Libertarian Party. Or, or, no, and we're no, not going to tell... Don't shoot down the Libertarian And we're party. not going to... Yeah. plenty with the left. Yeah, and we're not going to and we're not going to tell people who to vote for. We focus on ideas and, you know, focus on free market values and fiscal responsibility. And then people can make up their minds, think for themselves and vote for the people mm -hmm. that think, align closest to this. You, when you guys are not taking sides, uh -huh. do you feel like I mean, can you guys do like an internal survey that as soon as you turn 18, what your members mm -hmm. are voting for? I mean, yeah, surveys are fine. Like, it's great, No, no, it's but are you guys too. planning to do that? Because you want to know how effective that approach is. I mean, that really depends on, on each individual yeah, chapter. I'm not talking about the idea of you all being... Uh, that, I have that problem at Convention of States. We're a 501... We're a 501c3. Right, no. no. The other side is completely wrong about everything they're proposing. No, we're a 501c3 nonprofit. So we are conservative. We're outwardly conservative. And, oh, that's like but me you can be, the radio. Exactly, <laughs> but, but you, you know, you don't have to support wholeheartedly any kind of party and i speak you know when i go on radio or, or tv i speak for myself uh i'll defend a candidate for myself and i'll speak for myself on you know on many on many mm -hmm. issues and i try to bring a message to the republican party specifically myself because i understand that in this country there is a strong two-party system mm -hmm. and anything outside of that you know i identify a lot with i with libertarians on many things as Maybe just not with Small the whole. Small L libertarian. Yeah, but maybe just well, not with the whole border. Libertarian. There's, uh, there's proprietarian libertarian, which is. I agree with. Believe just in property rights. I agree with mostly everything except their dismal, you know, ideas on immigration and migration well, that, and that is not wanting that's to tearing apart the Libre Initiative. Yeah, and not right exactly. I, I know, and not wanting to uh, to enforce this country's uh, borders. And so I disagree with them on that. Yeah. And I agree with Republicans then on that, on having a border on strict immigration. Well, look, you look at Europe. It, yeah, exactly. So, right so, now. and I'll be happy to call out Republicans on them not standing up for conservative values yep so and i'll you know like fiscal responsibility like exactly overblown budgets exactly that or or just defying the president on things that that are really fiscally conservative just because um and because they're well, we gotta watch out because right now we've stepped mm -hmm. in some deep Blood yeah. with this last budget Trump passed. It was mm -hmm. the largest, most... Yeah, that was a mistake. Big, and he big, didn't know big what he was mistake. getting into. And yeah. They fell into Schumer and Pelosi mm -hmm. and gave them the right to expand Planned right. Parenthood, mm -hmm. put more... But that teeth. tells you that the yeah. Republican leadership in Congress yeah, is not conservative. 
Yeah. It is not courageous. We need to start. And corrupt. We need to have more people run for office. That's you, that's well, the case. Exactly. More more of more millennials that are truly conservative. truly conservative. People, but mm-hmm. that have the motto "Live and Let Live." Right. Live and let live because many of GOPers in Congress do not have that mod- you know that motto to their heart. They are more traditionalist, and that loses a lot of voters. You cannot impose morality on somebody else via religion, via you know talking about um, illegal re- substances. Exactly, exactly. So you know live. that's that's the biggest issue, in, in my opinion, that the GOP has not progressed enough. So what on that issues issue. would you th- to name? Two issues that two you issues, think that free the GOP speech. should let go. So yeah, let go. absolutely. The what are they? the marijuana, mm-hmm. yes, the drug on wars. The yep, drug on yep. wars has cost so many yep, lives, destroyed right. so many lives, cost yep. taxpayers millions, trillions yep. of and dollars. It's exactly, crime, it's a victimless crime. You shouldn't be dictating what people can and can't put into yep. their bodies. Agreed. You destroy the lives of people Plus the cost who get of incarceration. exactly. And in the end, we're a paying whole lobby for that. Yes. You know, there's a whole lobby mm-hmm. of prosecutors well, in prison. Yeah. yeah. And prison I mean, and, and just to side. show you how how corrupt in a way right. um, government organizations are that are getting something out of keeping these substances uh, illegal. Right. A, they tried to they tried to ban um, or I don't know if they are going to ban the e-cigarettes those little vape right, pens vaping, right, yeah right. those vape That's pens so which is which is it. which is um which is you know counter part right. to to like so cigarettes get, yeah, so and and weed nicotine. and and all of this they're trying to ban that yeah, cuz it's FDA is exactly it, right? it's it's healthier it actually is and i don't use it right. but people should have the option to use whatever the heck they want and that's not, you know, well, government see, agencies aren't... But see, that's regulators always favor the established mm-hmm. companies. Exactly. And, and here's the thing. The GOP has to put itself in an average American's shoes and get indignified with them and tell them, yes, it's true. Lobbying controls a lot of what goes on in Congress. Yes, health care is super high. We want to lower the cost of health care. We don't want free health care. But I'll tell you why. It should be a lot cheaper. And the reason it's not cheaper is because X, Y, and Z. Because corporations lobby to make sure that there is a 50-year, um, what do you call it, where you can't reproduce something, a copyright, oh, patent, right? Patent, exactly, yeah. patent rights. Yeah. Patent rights drive healthcare costs right, to the moon. Right, so if you have a life-saving medication right. that you created and somebody finds a better way to make that same thing cheaper, cheaper, cheaper right. more cost-effective, you can't do it. And the government is protecting well, but companies they're, they're like that. They're entitled to protection for some time. Exactly, so, but it shouldn't but not, be 50 right, years, right? right. right? Yeah, because real, if you have a good idea, issue. but I can make that idea right. better... Then why aren't right, we certain, able to so allow that? You're right, that so they need, yeah, they time. need to show how they are on the side with the people against government regulation and against government inefficiencies. So they have to be equally as outraged and show them that they're trying to fix the problem, that they aren't aligning themselves with corporations, and it's not that they don't want health care for people; it's that they know the root of the problem and they want to fix it get indignified with the fact that college tuition prices are five times in you know the inflated rate that this country has gone through in the last i don't know 30 years why 
because of the department of Ed- because of the government involvement in education just pretty much giving out loans to anybody that that asks for one it doesn't matter if you're going to school to get a gender studies degree for $60,000 a year knowing that you're going to probably be unemployed afterwards the government is like yeah ruin your life um and so we have this huge debt students in the end pay for it and and it's a result of government involvement in education so stu- younger people need to know the root of of many of these problems that affect them daily um, and the GOP needs to show them that they have the solutions for them and, and empathize with them and I think younger conservatives are the best to mm-hmm. deliver that message um, because sometimes it's embarrassing when you see for example older GOP congressmen trying to ask uh, Google executives and representatives questions that you know your average millennial can can understand about hey. it makes you look very incompetent on the issue you know and it makes people well, feel out of touch a lot of those guys have retired well we need a lot more of them too and we need term limits so 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 and we need term limits so no. um yeah, we do. We do. It's I'll supposed to be a, a Congress of 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 citizens made up right, of, not of professional politics. Exactly. Yeah, uh-huh. So Try you know. The states tried it. They all went <laughs> to the hellhole. Well, I think on on a national level that that me that might be a little bit different. You might get a little bit less corrupt politicians. You know what you will get is a bunch of novices running the government um, <laughs> because they'll be dependent on staff. We're already doing that though. Right Look now. at Alexandra Cortez. Look, I mean, yeah. you know, there's there's Imagine no... her, because of term limits, mm-hmm. you're making, making my argument for me. If mm-hmm. you keep the Staying there people forever. that are good running, mm-hmm. you want to organically get them to drop out of the race organically. And there's only one way to do that. Mm-hmm. But you guys got to think differently than you're thinking. And mm-hmm. you have to ignore this generation entirely. And there's one way of there's getting, there's some good stuff from our older generation. Generation's gone. We're, <laughs> we're now here because of them and us. Mm-hmm. And I'm separating Ed from me because there's about 20 year difference between you and I, right? Uh-huh. 18 years or so. He's not gonna say so. No, even. I'm <laughs> okay, so this is something you guys have to and I can't implore it. So maybe I do have to print the book in print. You need to get it in print because you all are not thinking clearly. Right. Term limits sucked mm-hmm. in California, sucked in Florida. Mm-hmm. The, biggest, the biggest problem I have with the amendment of the law mm-hmm. is term limits. Because if it passed in 1996, mm-hmm. when I arrived in 2013, having used the Florida Parent Empowerment Law that we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. when I arrived there to have it amended, mm-hmm. what were Republicans doing in Congress that year for two straight sessions, 2012 mm-hmm. and 13? They were petitioning and selling a mm-hmm. petition-based parent trigger law mm-hmm. when the ballot one was on the books already mm-hmm. hello and who was behind it mm-hmm. jeb bush and bill gates pushing the parent revolution upon the senate of florida mm-hmm. and the house in the florida and all that energy when i arrived there by myself mm-hmm. i like to tip my hat can i use your hat sure. for a second because i was able to block the whole thing by one vote i got mm-hmm. lucky that they both ended in 2020 ties in the senate and that was mm-hmm. just me convincing one person Mm-hmm. I can't vote for this. The ballot one is already here. I just right. used it. Okay. Mm-hmm. If you do that at the national level, mm-hmm. you are so screwed. There's nowhere to go. You'll be mm-hmm. surrounded by a bunch of Cortez or Ocasio-Cortezes, and everybody else will be turned out. 
And she not, won't know about a law that passed in, in 1996. She just she doesn't even know about the one that passed tomorrow. Yeah. Now here's another issue. It if prevents McCain's out, from coming. Right, John McCain. Want, it, it prevents McCain's. It prevents a lot of other. There's very few people. There's very few people thinking like this. So if you guys mm-hmm. don't get on the board, I'll be dead and you'll be screwed. Okay. <laughs> You we'll have, have other we'll have other methods okay, to to fix only that, one way that issue. To do a term limit and it's uh, organic term limit because it'll be human term mm-hmm. limit. It won't be date defined. It'll mm-hmm. be based on attendance record. If you're not sitting in there throughout mm-hmm. the term, mm-hmm. so no more C-SPAN or empty seats. This is a seat. whole episode yeah. on on its own. <laughs> you're not yeah, do it. that's. They're not going to do it. Not, you don't have the right to say that because uh-huh. they're not doing it now. No, they are very busy now. They're, they're raising not, money. They're raising money. Right. So you have You're to not force listening. them to be in there. And guess mm-hmm. what? If you don't reach 75 to 85, in my book, it's mm-hmm. 85. But mm-hmm. I expect it to be lower to 75. Mm-hmm. But you all, it's you, it's you, Diana. You mm-hmm. have to do it. It's mm-hmm. your generation. You have to force those people to attend Congress and their me- their committee meetings after mm-hmm. uh, session is out. So mm-hmm. a committee meeting can't be even heard until like 8 or 9 at night. And the, and the session is during the day. Mm-hmm. you got to work the whole hour, all right? Mm-hmm. They'll tire out. In four years, they'll not even want to run for re-election. And their attendance record will show whether they mm-hmm. can or not. If you don't punch in and punch out for 75% mm-hmm. of your term, you mm-hmm. cannot run for re-election. I just mean, like, that's... It's just like when the bell rings in school. You had to be sitting there, right? That's a good rule that we could apply, you know, right and now. And term, right now. You know, so... <laughs> but if you guys don't start thinking that way organically... Mm-hmm. And you start following the herd because that generation suggested term limits for the last 35 years? No. I All think the it's... states that passed term limits have failed miserably. And guess what they did? Mm-hmm. Once your term limit is up in the House, you jump over to the Senate. Once your term limit is up in the Senate, yeah. you jump back into the House. Well, I mean, you can't go back in the House. Yeah. You can go back and forth. Absolutely. The, the, the point is... a way to term in between. Absolutely. But and the point is to... Florida's pre- now musical chairs. That, but that's that's the kind of the point to prevent career politicians because it makes it a little bit more difficult. They're not the problem. The career politician is mm-hmm. not the problem. The, the government by proxy is the problem. Oh no, I agree not with engaged, that too. Not to wait for a text by your mm-hmm. staff who heard it over the intercom yeah. in their office about what happened on the floor. It's time to go vote, and you show up just to vote. That's the problem in government. And if you all well, they yeah. were busy raising money before that. But I'm sorry, mm-hmm. you have to start thinking. Yeah, first of all, you have to start finding out who's thinking. Because if you all keep on doing this, we're going to end up with term limits, and we're going to end up with a balanced budget amendment. And then the Democrats are going to take power again, and guess what? They're going to raise taxes to 60% to balance the budget. Well, the good how thing you, is... How do you keep the balanced budget amendment from coming to being? Mm-hmm. And what happens when they control it? Oh, we have to balance the budget. You guys gave us this. So let's raise taxes to 70% to pay for the budget. Yeah, I That's think dangerous. I think if France was was taken to to the streets over over a gas tax, I don't think we'd get that close oh, here in the United could. States. Yeah. I'm getting my safety, um, <laughs> uh, yellow safety vest. Yeah, so so you know what, you guys the, the biggest the issue. You said that, but we just had rioting in the streets the for biggest, like six, six six months straight with Antifa and all. Yeah, yeah, thing. yeah. So the the, the mm-hmm. issue I think honestly is education of the younger generations, and that's what you're doing. Uh huh. And and having them get higher standards for their politicians and the people that that run for office Mm -hmm. um finding ways to get them real well that too and in the end take back their government once they're into the real world once they're into the real world but in order to take back their schools in florida we need to amend the parent empowerment law to remove the requirement to to remove the requirement that the teachers also approve 
So okay, should be so now, uh, <laughs> Zoe should be should be on the line pretty soon, right? Is oh, but you can't leave until Zoe calls, right? Yeah, yeah. I'll wait. No, of course I'll wait for her. Yeah, okay, gonna... <laughs> we have another forty minutes to go. Mm-hmm. And Zoe, hello. Why don't you go go give her a call? Yeah, I, well, you I can't just. Wait for you guys are on Facebook. Live. I can just. I can just. People see you clearly. The great well. thing give though is that. We can send messages. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> without having, you're, without you're having generation. to, ahead, to be on air. So. I don't know how to do that. I was going to go out there and crank up the phone, <laughs> and pick it up, and said, "Operator, can you connect me with Zoe?" In yeah, Atlanta? and Zoe's gonna, Zoe's gonna be. Um, I think she's gonna be here at SAS also. So okay. I'm excited to see her again and see updates of her. Well, was she attempting of to her call battle? us? No, because I would have heard the ring. So oh, she hasn't called us. Unfortunately, here at Blink Radio, <laughs> uh, since we're community-based radio programming, we don't have a, a call screener. The staff is me, Snurgly. myself, and I. We Snurgly. don't have a snurgly, no. You also, we need a chief technology officer. Yeah, so if anybody who's got a real desire to love their country enough to come over here and work for free, well, <laughs> intern, call us up. College Our, interns can... Yes, can we're at 305-365-7777 locally. So that's 305-365-7777. And then mm-hmm. toll free were one eight four four six four five nine seven seven three, which is WSQF. Mm-hmm. So again, toll free one eight four four Zoe. Hello, one eight four four six four five. She'll be she'll be calling in sooner. Um, I think it's a good opportunity to to keep talking about SAS for those that sure. you know weren't ahead, weren't us. listening Here's... in and um, and really just talk about how big this conference is going to be. It's going to be great for networking. We're going to have over 2,000, 3,000 students uh, there. And it's pretty much, if any of you have attended CPAC, it's going to be a similar style to that. The speakers um, range from everything from politicians to to influencers, social media influencers. We've got a, a large you know variety of them. We have people on TV, Tucker Carlson, um, Donald Trump Jr. We have um, Dennis Anna Prager, Paulina. One of my yeah, favorites. Dennis Dennis Prager. Prager. He's the most articulate man out there. Mm-hmm. And um, and this is pretty much almost free for students, and especially if you're a local Florida student, um, to apply and go. So it's it's a four day conference where kids are going to meet other people that think like themselves. They can better articulate what they believe in because when you're young. You know, I was young and I had these conservative ideas also that my parents instilled in me. But you don't you don't really have um, the experience to to put them in in words and also have a have a debate with your teacher who, you know, is much older. Exactly. Or or that's much older. You don't have uh, that firepower to go head to head with somebody older than you, more experienced. Exactly. (laughs) So so we give we give these students, you know, the ammo they need to really stick up for their conservative ideas, know why it is that they believe these conservative ideas, why they work, how the policy affects people, um, and and really have fun, too, because it's it's different than any other conference, I think, in, in the entire country. It's mostly, uh, it's mostly having young people there, and it's run by young people. Turning Point USA, most of our employees are people, you know, my age, and our job is to go on college campuses mm-hmm. and high school campuses and talk to students. You, first, the first impression I had <laughs> of you was seeing you on Facebook through mm-hmm. Eitan Lohr, you know Eitan Lohr? Eitan Lohr, uh-huh. You know, American Principles? Uh-huh. 
you were uh, I wasn't your friend yet. So uh -huh. on his wall, I saw your activism. Mm -hmm. And I go, wow, look at her in the middle of campus with all those <laughs> pinko nationalists right. running around. Well, I'm that's, surprised you haven't kicked her table over. That's the real battleground, you know, and um, and that's why we need people our age too to go in there and be able to speak face to face to them and and be relatable. So the company, despite it being a huge company, despite it being the pretty much the largest conservative organization out there on college campuses um, is run by by young people and it's run very efficiently so I mean no, it's grown two fantastic exactly and it's and yeah and Candace Owens Candace who's can we talk about Candace Owens it's and what a superstar <laughs> and what a superstar she is yes, um, I I love Candace as a person she's great she's humble sweet um, really appreciates the work that people that surround her do to make sure that she is in the spotlight and able to get her message out to her community, which is extremely important. Um, by the way, for those that don't know, Candace Owens is our communications director for Turning Point USA. She's a black conservative yep. woman. Yep. And, and you Fourth know, she... Right. She makes headlines all the time because because she's the queen of catchphrases. Yeah, and and she's great. She's sharp as heck. Uh, she's a great debater. All right, um, but let me tell you, the most important quality <laughs> that she has is uh -huh. her courage. Yes, Winston Churchill said that courage is the most important virtue because mm -hmm. it makes all the others possible. That is so true. So she is willing to stand up and be called whatever they call it, an Uncle Tom, mm -hmm. a racist, you know, unbelievably. But she will take it and give it right back. That that is true, and you know, being isolated by by people that that don't that she might have looked up to, um, just because she doesn't agree with their political you know ideology, I think it's something that's tough, and she deals with it incredibly. She's able to have a civil dialogue with people that completely disagree with her. She was on a radio interview with uh, Russell Brand the other day. She's been doing that. Yeah. Is she doing that a lot? Because he's a real idiot. How did she do <laughs> well, that? Well, because... Who's Russell Brand? Why because oh, he's a freak because the idea is that why are we going to preach to the choir? I mean... Yeah, right. I love how you guys, when you had your event, exactly. the, event that we went together. I got the to idea that. is to that we need to reach out to the other side, which we haven't done before. Why are we going to keep... your philosophy where... You have mm -hmm. to oppose us to even ask a question. Exactly. Let so everybody know that because that's very important. Because yeah. In these campus clashes, mm -hmm. what I learned that as being the older guy in the room, mm -hmm. uh, that you guys say, "Hey, if you agree with us, take Come. a back seat. Yeah. If you don't so, agree with us." Exactly. The point is to engage the other side because we know that when they come to our debates that they'll, at the very least, understand where we're coming from. And in the best case, they'll come to our side. And we have so many I have there's so many activists, people that actually work for Turning Point that used to be Bernie Sanders support, supporters. And then they heard her message and come that's a huge that's a step victory. i know that's but they didn't know they were protesting but they didn't know what to exactly protest. <laughs> so turning point host events like campus clash where we have charlie and candace come over and after they have their speech and tell them what exactly we stand for they tell the people in the audience hey if you disagree with us come to the front of the line and ask your question and that's the best way to engage um the other side because we can we can talk about the uh, the issues that matter the most to them and i feel that the solutions that we propose to those issues are ones that they can agree with as well 
it's fair, you know, it's it's common sense, honestly. It's crazy that the ideas we support, which is just live and let live, common sense ideas, it's called conservatism. We're not being conservative about anything other than we want to conserve our own money. I don't want to steal anybody's money. I don't want anybody to steal from my pocket. We want to conserve our own life and our own property. Well, what about people who say that they have been victims and that they're entitled to, in effect, reparations? Oh God, I don't even want to start on that. I, that's a far. That's a mentality that you really would have a tough time overcoming. Um, if you see yourself as a victim that you know that needs some kind of help to from the government, not yeah, just from your from church. somebody else. By the way, it's mm-hmm. not the government. I wish if people understood more that the money that they get in help doesn't come from the government. Right. It's not an entity. It doesn't come from trees it's somebody it's somebody that goes to work more than 40 hours a week and is getting money taken out of their paycheck that could have gone to feed their kids or to buy something that they need that is taken away in taxes you know and it punishes responsible people so and again it's not even poor people's fault that this is the case because the government encourages that kind of behavior so if you make poor decisions in life that, you know, lead you to a life of poverty, the government rewards that while it uh, punishes people who make good decisions in life because that's how you get people dependent but on that, them. Yeah, absolutely. That's and, how you so, get so you, and, and so if we taxes, exactly and if money. we get poor people indignified at the fact that they've fallen into this trap and that conservatives are trying to help them get out of it then I think uh, we'll be able to bring more people to our side. You know, there's, there's, if you make decent decisions in life, you know, there's three things that you have to do to stay out of the poverty line, which is graduate high school, find a job, and don't have kids before you're married. Right. You do those three things, and there's over a 90% chance that you're going to be above the poverty line. But that is not really encouraged because this country rewards you if you have multiple kids. People, you know, want to have the child tax credit. Um, there's benefits, and if you if you get, you get a, more benefits, if you're exactly, children. exactly, they're destroying right. the family unit. So if you have a child out of wedlock, it used to be that you know you would marry the the father and and you would try to make the best of it and and move on and that's not the case because now the government says "Uh uh-uh you guys have to live apart so that you can get uh you know our benefits so they're replacing the father with a welfare check and they're destroying families let me show you this they need to get indignified with that because it destroyed black communities it's destroyed hispanic communities Um, and, and it's not doing much for the Anglo's either. Yeah, no, I mean them and, too. And, anybody, and, anybody and, that has fallen. Well, let me give you some that. numbers. In 1964, mm-hmm. 24% of black children were born to unwed mothers. Mm-hmm. Last year, at least 71 nationwide. Mm-hmm. 86% in Cook County, which is Chicago, mm-hmm. and in Dade County, Florida, 89% mm-hmm. of black children are, are growing up without a father. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, the the government is encouraging this kind of family but, but separation. But it's not just the government. The, and the then, movie that won the Academy Award two years ago mm-hmm. was uh, Moonlight, which is about exactly a, a young person growing up in that, mm-hmm. and they glorified it. That. They glorified it. Yeah, well, oh, I don't, women, women I don't know, you know, I don't know about that, but women have to also understand mm-hmm. that not being themselves 
any service but say, I'm a single mother and I've had to do everything by myself. Well, yeah, you gotta yeah. find well, honey, uh, you failed at something and that was either at a marriage or at a relationship. You gotta lasso some well, poor young guy and yeah. enslave him. Well, you know, all this talk well, about patriarchy. The Judeo-Christian patriarchy is a form of enslaving young men to do the will of their creator and support and their wife. And well, and their children. Yeah, it's, it's enslavement. Yeah, of so the men. The more than anything, I think third wave. Yeah, was signing the no-fault divorce law in 1960 that spread across all 50 states. Another chapter in the book. And what it's really important for me to to do as my as my last my last hurrah, and to build a radio station around promoting an idea of a book. I don't think any author is doing that anywhere in this country. And I have to implore people to reinvent the United States, please, because mm -hmm. you have the technology to do so. You guys have the time to do so. Mm -hmm. We don't have the time, and we screwed you guys. Mm -hmm. We screwed you guys so harshly that there's no way of getting out. So don't listen to our ideas unless there's a book out there uh -huh. called thefiscals.com that asks you to reinvent the United States. It's by not asset. a book until it's printed. Well, that's not true, because the majority of people read online. They don't okay, read paperback yeah, books. But not books, okay. Okay, and guess what? If, if your generation is going to read the book because it's printed, then why do I need you guys you to opinionate? You don't need us. I you agree. don't need you to opinionate. I need them. Amazon freaks. We'll have, we'll have Zoe calling in pretty soon. Um, There's 300 pages out there for free online. Since mm -hmm. 2013, I wrote this book a long time ago. Well, now and, you need to use social media to promote it. Yes, <laughs> I need, but I need you people to embrace it and say, mm -hmm. hi. I'm 20-something well, years old, can we get and I love this a, book. Can we get you to be a speaker at this uh, event? Are you going with our team? Not, not on Wednesday. We have, we have, I have a funeral. I mean, we have sponsor tables, and if anything, you know, you, you would be able to set up, and if you had books, yeah, <laughs> you could <laughs> you I, could have I, them up there I for students to purchase. The book, uh -huh. my, my game plan was from the get-go, and I haven't been discouraged from it, mm -hmm. was once the book is printed, mm -hmm. what's... Why did, this is the reason why I didn't print the book, because the civil rights case was pending that I had. I was the lead witness in a civil rights case mm -hmm. of what I did. Uh, uh, the superintendent abused two principals before me. Mm -hmm. I was PTA president, so he could abuse me, but I still got the vote. Mm -hmm. They didn't get the vote. And I was representing them in a civil rights case as the lead witness. And that was heard, <laughs> that was heard about five weeks ago, six weeks ago, mm -hmm. and they lost. Now we have every reason to get rid of the teachers in the Florida Empowerment Law. Why? Because mm -hmm. the Federal Civil Rights Court said that those principals did not have freedom of speech because they were administrators of a school district, therefore... They're employees, they're so employees. forget it. Mm -hmm. So guess what? The government already said that intimidation will continue, yeah. so take them out of the vote so they have no pressure. Mm -hmm. They don't ever have to fire a trigger letter because they, they're going to be intimidated. So mm -hmm. anyway, I wanted to be able to write that in the book. So mm -hmm. now I have no excuse. The book has to come out in print because the case yep. is finally heard. <laughs> and that's a long time. It's 2018. Mm -hmm. They fired their lawsuit in 2013. I mm -hmm. fired my trigger letter in 2013. Mm -hmm. And and all everything that happened to me happened in 2014. But what's really sad about not knocking down that school because I lost mm -hmm. as a charter school, cancer broke out. Teachers uh, having cancer all over the school. Mm -hmm. Parents, too. One yeah. parent's already dead. That's and nobody crazy. wants to talk about it because nobody wants to pin breast cancer to lung cancer because the cancers are different. Mm -hmm. And yet there's mercury in there, there's lead in there, there's lead from the old paint days of the 50s. And imagine mm -hmm. all that stuff gets disturbed when you renovate. Meanwhile, mm -hmm. they didn't expand the school that was overcrowded because they just renovated an old school. Mm -hmm. So this is, 
something that is really a forward thinking if you adhere to what is said in the law. It's not to deviate from it. Mm -hmm. Same with the term limits. Why not have attendance records? Force these people to work. I guarantee you they're not going to they're not going to be there 12 years and they have to sit there every day for 12 years. There's mm. not going to be there because there's muscular dystrophy day, there's flag day, there's, uh, you know, patriotic day. You're going to be sitting there. That stuff is boring. And the yeah. politician, what he loves is to hang out, right, uh, raise money. And we finally have... Zoe. Is this Zoe? Zoe? No, it's Keith. Oh. You sure? Oh, Keith, did you hang up? Oh, my God. Keith hangs up after his name shows up on the board. Boy, Snurdly is really on fire today. There you go. All right, let's see. Please, Zoe, please beat Zoe. No, it's Keith again. Keith, how are you, Keith? You're listening to WSQF 94.5 FM, where we blink once, and then Keith comes on board. What's up, Keith? Hi, man. I think how are you? I'm um, doing as best as I can, I guess, for a Monday. Sounds good. Sounds good. I, one thing I want to mention, I think your uh, your voice is being picked up by the phone mic, not your mic. I wonder if your mic's off. Uh, we have only one mic. No, the, the mic is correct. We're, we are down a mic. I don't have the usual three mics. Oh, I have only okay. two mics today. But no, I've been speaking in the same mic. Do I sound different to you or different from the phone caller? Uh, much different from the phone caller. So That means my... Okay, that, I, can, I, can, I can hear you. Um, I'm a little yeah, bit, uh, yeah, I believe I'm a little yeah. bit farther away from the mic than I normally would be because I have the mic uh, closer to the, the phone than I do myself. Oh, Zoe said she's calling now. Okay, I don't want to. Uh, All right, we're going to cut you off in a second when this uh, beautiful woman called Zoe, who's going to be calling. So if, uh, tell me what you got going because it's going to be short and sweet today. Well, you want me to just hang up? Uh, no, because that would be rude. I'd rather you to speak your mind. I don't, okay. I don't well, censor anything. See you at the conference, <laughs> Keith. He told me to call in at uh, 6.35, and he asked me some questions. So I'll, uh, I'll go through it quickly, if I will. Okay, go ahead. Uh, he said, what do millennials think of the Constitution? So um, I don't have any statistics. There's about 100 million of them or so. So uh, I asked four. Um, I'm curious if it's typical. But uh, first off, none of them ever read it. Uh, <laughs> One or two of them did care a little bit. Uh, Wait, I have a copy. What? And, and studied some of the amendments. We but. can hand out copies at this convention uh, this week. It was mm -hmm. funny because when Kamala Harris was interviewing Judge Kavanaugh, Kavanaugh had this beaten up uh, little pocket constitution, and she kept referring to, to what's that little book you got? Well, I'm, I'm curious if Kavanaugh read it either. But oh, I've, I've come on. <laughs> All right, so look, we got that air, so... Uh, we're gonna wait for Paulina because she keeps on calling and she confirmed that she's Zoe. Calling. She says that um that the line's busy. Okay, so I gotta let you go. She keeps on calling, the line's busy, and I gotta let you go, Keith. <coughs> Thank we'll you, my after. friend. Did you hang up or are you there? Okay, so Keith is gone. Okay. Zoe's gonna call it now. She's oh, right oh, by her. We're, phone. we're very sorry, Zoe. <laughs> See ya. Call, please forgive us. This is community radio. I wish we had a staff, but you know, Ed doesn't want to work full time. No, I don't. He has an agent, and he keeps on asking me for more money, and I just can't. There you there go. There we go. Is this Zoe on WSQF 94.5? This is. Well, look. I, hey, I did Curly. The drum, the drum beat. We've been waiting for you for about a, two weeks now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we're reaching out. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for having me. Zoe, thank you very much for calling. I just want to let our audience 
uh, know that you attended the Turning Point USA Conference in Washington about a month ago. Is that right? That is correct. And you are an African-American young woman. Is that correct? That is correct. No, no yeah. identity politics here. So you, I know you work for Marriott, uh, but you also have a sideline as a, a model. And uh, I understand when you got back to Atlanta, your modeling gig was terminated because of your participation in Turning Point USA. So why don't you tell us about that? Yes, well, for one, I, I enjoyed my time um, at the uh, Young Black Leadership Summit. What, you like um, Trump? Was, Come on. That's changing for me. Um, but yes, when I returned home, I, um, I posted pictures uh, from the event, and uh, my agent happened to see it on my Facebook page. And from there, uh, for example, one of the pictures she commented gross, and that was the picture with Donald Jr. and I. And, um, and I was just shocked who it happened next. Uh, she emailed me a contract release uh, stating due to my uh, political racist connections, um, her and her team decided to release my contract. Um, of course, I was, um, like I said, I was shocked by the situation. Um, I didn't have any war- warnings prior to then from her. Um, I've posted uh, my, you know, my political beliefs before and it didn't seem to be a problem she has herself and just like any of her other models in the agency they have posted their political beliefs on their social media and it didn't seem to be a problem until after i guess uh saying that i went to dc uh, with turning point i guess that kind of triggered something but good yeah <laughs> well you're, you're all the better for it because you're still beautiful and now you're conservative so and now you have a lost absolutely nothing and you have now a connection here in south florida so we're ready to have you come down we'll resuscitate your modeling career <laughs> i think i think she can get hired right just now, about I am, I that's what i thought too Uh, repeating uh, the theme and the central point of Candace Owens that uh, why because I'm black do I have to vote for a Democrat when they've done nothing for us? Yeah, or, or, or even if it's not a Democrat, like you can people can think I'm for so themselves, happy. you know, people can think for themselves. And uh, in in your case, you know, one door closed, many more opened. And I think right. uh, I I'd like for you to maybe talk about was this more of. Um, of a view to like the reality of the harsher reality of, of coming out, you know, conservative. Um, did you expect like if it was any other employer or in any other situation, do you feel like you would have had a a similar backlash or has it been a backlash from your community or anything like that? Well, uh, what you're saying uh, really, ever since I was younger, um, of course my parents coming from a conservative background, We've had, we've dealt with the same situation. And mm-hmm. now as an adult, 
I I used to hesitate or still kind of hesitate now with voicing my beliefs and opinions with other people, especially like I mean in the workplace they tell you not to uh, to talk about politics or whatnot, mm-hmm. but. Out, really, out of all of this, since everyone at my job knows about my situation, I've had some people say, you know, I didn't know that you were so, like, vocal about, like, your political stance, but, like, seeing you for who you are, like, I'm, like, I just want you to know that I'm not, you know, going to unfriend you or, uh, like, you know, think negatively of you because of your political beliefs, because mm-hmm. I know you as a person, you're a good person. Mm-hmm. So that has, you know, but... um I used to hesitate with, especially like, yes, in my modeling um, experience, hesitate with uh, speaking to other people about, you know, what I believe politically um, because of the fear of rejection. And, of course, like, I mean, but I've noticed, and, I mean, of course, everyone else has accepted when they post their liberal, you know, liberal ideology, and they're accepted for that. But why can't I post my thinking and speak about um, what like what my belief as an American citizen like why why can't I do that mm-hmm. oh because I don't agree uh, with your little liberal uh, concepts and whatnot but I mean mm-hmm. when, when I, you say when you say literal do you are you implying to them that they're narrow or that they're uh, you know stale and old and repetitive Liberal, is that no, I mean little, little. When you said like your little liberal thought. Oh, no, 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 no. I said li- not little. I apologize. I just say li- liberal. Oh, okay. Liberal. Yeah. But um, gripe um since i'm 54 and you i'm assuming you all are 30 or younger what is it that your generation perceives about republicans that's stuck in their head that won't let anyone think that the republican party actually cares about individuals of any stripe right what is it you think they're they believe they really do believe that we're all a bunch of racist narrow-minded uh angry people or what Well, the the word old uh, is in the GOP. The word old is in the GOP, the Grand Old Party. Right. So it's like the I think the problem is the GOP has a branding po- problem that you know alienates people. Okay, so guess what? Our age. Right. I need to interrupt right here and right now because it's the first time in two years that the issue has come up, and I can't thank Miss Sixto enough for it. In my book. Yeah. Mm. I wrote a book, I don't think you heard about this, but I wrote a book called thefiscals.com, you can read online. And in the book I'm suggesting that in the 2020 convention, we are to put on a motion in the 2020 convention, or the 2024 convention, in my book it says 2020, where you all, young people, who are delegates in the Republican convention from different states, in other words, you guys kind of like rehearse this, so that you hear the support from different states, where we're calling for the deletion of old in Grand Old Party. Oh, come on. Forget it. And rebrand the party. Forget Remember, it. What you say is becoming more and more offensive every time you say it, and I get really upset because you are the problem. That's and such we a... have to, Republican Party has to become the Grand Party. 
Think about how simple getting rid of old would be and the message you would send. Mm. Remember, 148 IQ. I wrote a book. I built a radio station. I don't think I don't take kindly to what you say, Ed, because you are my. <laughs> well, I agree too. <laughs> and guess what? And the minute you say, "Oh, come on," you're admitting failure right there. No failure. It, it is it, failure. Your generation yeah. sat and watched the Nazis eradicate eight million people before the no, end of the war. I was born. You're bl- after yeah, that. you can't blame them for the Holocaust look, now. Joey, I'm on your side. You know, I'm 20 years older than you guys, but. We cannot stand for the older generation. Oh, come on! Oh, look at uh, who are the political leaders of the Republicans Happy and Democrats. The Democrats day. are yeah, led we, by seventy-year-old. You, you, you have to remind yeah. yourself, and this, and uh, especially right. on the air, grand new with, party. Okay, we'll change Zoe, it to the grand Zoe, new party. Um, no, grand party, <laughs> grand ideas, big ideas outside of the right side of the box on the right side of history. That's the theme of my book. Big ideas. Not just outside the box, on the right side of the box, on the right side of history. But we cannot tolerate, oh, come on, especially from someone your age. You are my problem. I'm trying to appeal to these people. I think we can have a good combination of both. No, you have to rebrand the party from the grand old party. You just brought it up. She Mm. made the connection. I already wrote about it, so I naturally want to gravitate to her. And what is the guy with the the deficit spending mind? That's like Rush Limbaugh saying, you shouldn't call yourselves conservative. Okay. Come on, Mm. you have to have big ideas for these people. They should delete the old party. Zoe, are we seeing you? Are we seeing you tomorrow at at SAS? Are you coming down for SAS? Are you coming down for SAS in West Palm Beach? In West Palm Beach. I cannot, and uh, I'm really saddened by it, but (laughs) um, uh, I just was not able to arrange that um, to work out for um, for this summit. Yeah, that's fine, though. We'll have more conferences, so we'll see you at those. (laughs) And you all, are you taking an active role in Turning Point? So, I I mean, I don't know. Are you taking a more active role in in Turning Point in in the coming years or months? I would, I mean, I, of course, I would want to be a part of something so great like this. So, um, I will be going to future um, conferences as well. But I just was mm-hmm. not able to make uh, this one. Yeah, because it's 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 during the yeah, holidays, and you know, yeah, work oh, schedules. On, and... Like, oh, come on, how dare which, you? Which means that I've got to go too, because okay. no, I've no, got no, to. No, 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 <laughs> Our show is officially over in twelve minutes. Okay, well, I'll stick for the twelve okay. minutes because I've got <laughs> to get ready on. for SAS also. What's up, with that? Well, Zoe? Thank yeah. you very much for calling. Did you ever consider uh, being a model in Miami, or you yes, just we, tired we, of the We model? welcome you down here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, I'm actually from Miami. My brother Santiago is oh. there. He's also a conservative. He was in uh, DC with me as well. Um, oh, so you're from Miami, so you you know we can't we can't teach you the ropes here. You already know them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but I will be coming out there soon. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh well, fantastic. Hopefully, we'll have you here in the studio here in Key Biscayne. <laughs> Zoe, Zoe, is there any particular issue that you feel um, you know minority communities, the Hispanic community, or the Black community? Um, is the most important for conservatives to address so that they can be on the same page? Hmm. I think the only thing is that, like like we've been talking about before, like there's a misconception with Hmm. conservatives, Republicans, minorities thinking that they're not actually for them. And Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it's all like white people, Caucasian people, like that, like old in their ways. But um, I think that really for the minority community, they actually just need to educate themselves mm-hmm. on the GOP and what they actually are doing for minorities. Mm-hmm. And I think that's 
most important. Um, I mean, uh, they have already done so much for us, so I think that mm -hmm. we, uh, my, minorities, just need to educate ourselves and look into what all has been done and what is continued to be, uh, continue that, um, Okay, Zoe, are you aware that President Trump in the last week signed an urban uh, opportunity zone legislation for investing up to a billion dollars, and the president of Black Entertainment Television was in the White House praising the Trumpster? Are you aware of that? Wow. Yeah. Uh, I have heard. I've heard about the situation and what has happened with that, but, you know, it's so, it's so much going on. I also saw where he... Um, helping out farmers, and which that's important, important for us here in Alabama. A lot of uh, farmers are um, concerned about um, uh, just like, you know, their financial health and um, um, with their crops and everything. But um, soybeans, I, I think it's very important for us to, um, to study up on what's going on. So. Well, okay, well, to remember, an urban opportunity zone is any city that is not governed by Democrats. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I don't know how, how much longer... The Republican Party can survive on, on just, uh, you know, small government, lower taxes. If you all, and I can't, I can't emphasize this enough, if you all don't start embracing really big ideas that right. win the I, argument on the idea, not on the rhetoric, uh, we're going to lose. And I think, I think uh, something we were talking about earlier um, that I think is important for, for the right to address um, and that's important for minority communities is prison reform, which is something that Candace, as you know, is working on, and also, you know, ending the drug on wars, uh, the, the war drug on war. wars. Wow, war uh, the war on war drugs. Murders, you know, a lot of people do think that there's a lot of drug drugging going on in the war. So, uh -huh. we're okay there. so, so you know, that's I I think that's uh, a key point where where I think you know conservatives should focus on and become a little bit more liberal about it, as in. Allow people to have, yeah, allow people to, to live their lives and stop punishing victimless crimes by imposing, exactly. you know, your personal version of, of morality on somebody else. So right. I think that that's a really big issue with, with the Hispanic community and, and, and with, you know, the black community that, you know, I'm sorry, but culture is culture. <laughs> Just like in Jamaica, yeah. you know, you know, marijuana is something that's part of their culture and, and it's, you know, how they how they live their lives and they function that you can't, you know, you can't impose your own version of, of morality on an entire person yeah, and then ruin the rest of their lives it's, because of it. It's a safe argument because yeah. it's an organic substance, but you yeah. can't legalize heroin. We, we all, yes, you can. I, we also have the I example have of prohibition. Yeah. Absolutely. If you legalize heroin, you'll have Sweden, London, and Netherlands. Well, where, I have my personal views on that. The, <laughs> the, the answer <laughs> to you, we, we should legalize all drugs. The answer is to you education. know promote families, exactly. education, and churches. No, 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 no. Because no. in, uh, in Netherlands, in the Netherlands. They actually have a paddy wagon. Yes. And two or three in times Portland, a day, Oregon. They, Portland, they, Oregon. They That's how they do it. The wagon, take them Go to Portland, the Oregon. That's what they're doing in Oregon. Okay, so uh, with our last six minutes, I'm going to let Ed uh, speak about. Oh, man, are you kidding me? Give me some stale ideas for us to. Okay, end this uh, stale ideas for ending the program. <laughs> Listen, you know, everybody, people have to wake up. And, and I think the first step is we don't need compassionate conservatism. We need courageous conservatism. We need people to step up from Paul Ryan, who is now fort fortunately gone, to everyone else, 
Adriana, Zoe, Manny, and everybody, everybody, we need to stand up for what we know is right. So don't back down. You know, a lot of times they'll say, oh, if you say that, they'll call you a racist. They'll call you a sexist. They'll call you a bigot. You got to oh, stand. That also applies to, oh, come on. How dare you? No, no, no. Old, old, white, straight, Christian. Those are the things that Republicans are supposed to. I had a great segment. One of the best secretaries I ever had was from uh, Trinidad and Tobago. She was Indian. And I heard her saying to her friends, uh, you know, the Republicans are the white people's party. Give me a break. There are good ideas there. Colored people need to embrace these ideas and hold on and see that they're for their own benefit. And you can see Kanye West was figuring it out. The president of Black Entertainment Television was is figuring it out. And I think the Trumpster, he's going to get... The, the problem is that we don't yeah. have uh, enough heralds of our message that can really but communicate that's what we're with for. those communities. Which is why Candace Owens, Brandon right. Tatum, is and great. Zoe, and Zoe now and you and, can, and can that. really, you know, can really send those messages to our communities. You know, they identify. I can identify with the Latino community better than somebody mm -hmm. who hasn't, you know, grown up in a minority majority community. Right. And and Zoe can can probably do that as well. But so that's we why we're more, so dangerous we to progressives. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Right, exactly. Exactly. Well, how about we, well, how about we all agree, call progressives dead. Rest in peace. Regressive. They died in 2012, and you all keep on mentioning them as if they have power. The progressive movement died when the Tea Party uh, uh, basically stood up. And the, re uh, the truth is that we're not talking about the central focus, which is Hispanics have decided the last six presidential terms in this country. Mm -hmm. Six, including the last one. Mm -hmm. Because if Trump doesn't win, Florida. Florida's... Hispanic vote, he doesn't win Florida, therefore he's not president. Yeah, if we don't reach out to the if Puerto George Bush doesn't win in the hanging gonna... chads because they kind of refuse to recount. Mm -hmm. Democratic mayor named Alex Manelis, who was a Democrat, Cuban born, didn't want to see ballots in the, in the Miami River, so he refused to recount. Mm. And George Bush was able to win Florida. Okay. Clinton also won Bay County in his two of his terms to win Florida. People got to realize that. Right. Uh, the Hispanic vote uh, is deciding the election. And, and, and the challenge in Florida is to convince all those Puerto Ricans who moved that, to Central Florida uh, yeah. not to vote for the same socialist progressive policies well, we that lucky, ruined we Puerto Rico. That, that Puerto Rico the, the turnout in Puerto Rico wasn't that high for Andrew Gillum because they didn't know who he was. Thank God. Because if one year later, like the next in Well, that's where we have to focus on that. We have to talk to all Hispanics in Florida, whether they're from Puerto Rico, Venezuela, Nicaragua, and say, look, you cannot vote for the same policies that ruined, that your, ruined your homeland. Yeah. Well, hopefully their and new then, country is America. Also so also another thing that you all got to look into that Ann Coulter said recently, which is 500,000 to a million Hispanics turn 18 every year. Right. That's and therefore, you got to you all, your generation, got to reach out to them, and literally do what the Democrats do. I think Zoe is partly Hispanic. Is that right, Zoe? Uh, well, actually, uh, my brother, we uh, we share the same mom, but um, I'm uh, African American. Uh, my dad's Bahamian. So, okay. Uh, but my brother, he's a uh, half Puerto Rican. All right. So we're we're all Caribbeans here. Right, Caribbean Americans, <laughs> yeah. like Alexander Hamilton. Yeah, from Nevis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, people don't realize that about Alexander Hamilton. He was from the Caribbean. Yeah. Mm -hmm. he was, oh wow. Uh, yeah, he was from the. Uh, yeah, he was from Nevis. 
and he, he rose to be uh, Department of the first Department of Treasury. Mm-hmm. Um, well, anyway, so okay, so we're pretty much done here. Well, would you like to say anything to add that might inspire him to be a forward thinker on by next Monday? Bah humbug. Bah humbug. He wants to preserve the old and grand old party. Can you believe that? That ends up being the highlight of the show. Come on, man. But he's got his Make America Great Again hat. None of us else. And I got my shotgun at home. Uh, would you like to also uh, congratulate Miss <laughs> Sixto for uh, losing her last name uh, as a fiance? Uh, yes. Congratulations. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, girly. This is one of the only times in <laughs> just, my life where I year. wasn't jealous when someone got engaged. <laughs> I was really happy for her, genuinely happy for her, because she's uh, been a contributor here to uh, Blink Radio's Concrete Conservative, and she's the only person of her generation, really, who who thinks like us and is willing to marshal on, so I can't thank her enough for coming. Thank you. And for, uh, for bringing her, uh, her associates, and for allowing me to meet Candace Owen and Charlie Cook backstage in uh, Nova High. I, I wanted to thank you on the air for that, because I... Uh, I was really, uh, really moved by the way they, they just came. It was like watching two ping pong players, man. Just the rebuttal of power is unbelievable. To know that they're getting barraged. The father and son, the rabbi and the Jewish son, was turning conservative in front of his dad's eyes. And his dad was flipping out. Right in front of 500 people. Yeah, we're going to have a Jew day. I found two Jewish conservative women in Florida. We're going to have them call in. All right, so this is the end of our show here at the Concrete Conservatives. This is yours truly, Mac. With Ed Vidal, Dana Sixto from Turning Point USA, and Zoe from Zoe. You said you were from uh, Atlanta. I thought you were from Atlanta, but you said something about you. You're presently in Alabama. Yes, yes I'm in Alabama. <laughs> All right, so now we, that Bama. means we're Roll across tide. state lines. Yep, we're all tied. Well, thank you very much for calling, and hopefully, you're always welcome here on the Concrete Conservative. Thank you so much for having me. Bye, guys. Bye. 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 So okay. uh, play some music. We have Adam Levinson calling in a few minutes. Uh, closing closing comments before um, you go. So I guess my closing comments would be that uh, people should try to try to look and see what Turning Point USA's messages and the messaging strategies that we use to reach out to to younger people. And I think um, conservatives that are actually in politics and you know, affect legislation should probably take some, you know, take some tips and some pointers off so we can continue to reach out to millennials, to Generation C, to minorities. Um, and the general message should be freedom and should be live and let live. So, And don't got, forget to apply for SAS, www.tpusa.com slash SAS. Repeat, repeat www.tpusa.com slash SAS. The Student Action Summit. You have got to be there. If you are not there, you're going to miss out, and you're going to be jealous of everybody else who's posting their pictures at the event. <laughs> so that's all we got to say for you and me with the Moody Blues. Stay free, my friends. This is WSQF Blink Radio. See that? That's Adam Levinson. <laughs> we need a break. Tell me. Don't. There's no break. I'm out. Here we go. Thank you very much. I'll Thank see you there. Thank you so much. Mike. <laughs> What's happening on Thursday night here? I have to figure it out. You're listening to WSQS Radio. Who do I have the okay. pleasure to speak with? Good evening, Adam Levinson. Oh, thank you very much, Adam. So here we go. We are, um, we have just had a fantastic show with Turning Point USA, the future. And we've sat here typically 
uh, talking about forward-thinking ideas. So I think it's perfect that at 7.05 we start turning back the clock to the past. So, you know, this is what we're going to do. Um, Tell them to call you, back at 7.10. No, it's over for calling back. We are now forward-thinking. There's no pause. Go ahead and tell me, Adam, what's going to be the theme of the, uh, the show today? It is the 150th anniversary of the 14th Amendment and the Civil Rights Act of 1866. Whoa. These two acts and uh, amendments are the continuation of the Declaration of Independence. It puts flesh on all men are created equal. So any conservatives who want to look back and point to John Locke and point to rights and talk to talk about natural rights, that's where it starts. 1776. It continues 100 after the civil wars, after the civil war, and brings us to today. And by the way, there's a Supreme Court case that was argued at the end of November, which deals with this topic. Um, and the concept is incorporation, and I don't have to get too much into the weeds. But if you want to talk about uh, whatever you want to call it, the confiscation and the civil forfeitures, that issue is directly related to whether or not the 14th Amendment applies to the states and when the, whether or not you can have your car, for example, seized uh, if there's a little bit of marijuana in your car. Wow, that's co complete communist uh, closed society kind of stuff. Right, so that relates to uh, this issue of civil forfeiture and in order for civil forfeiture to apply to the states, the, remember, the Bill of Rights only applies to the federal government. Congress shall make no law. The Bill of Rights doesn't apply to the states, but it's through the 14th Amendment that these same protections get incorporated to apply to the states. So that was argued uh, less than a month ago, and we're waiting for that decision. Wow, that's impressive. And who was the plaintiff in the case? The name of the case, if you want to refer to it, it came from the state of Indiana, and it's Tim's, <laughs> if you want to look it up, T-I-M-B-S versus Indiana. So Tim's was the last name of the, uh, the plaintiff? Correct. He's driving a Range Rover. Uh, he's going to a drug deal where he's selling heroin, $225 worth of heroin. Uh, they seize his car, which wasn't bought with drug proceeds. That's a different issue if it's the proceeds. It was purchased with a life insurance policy from his father. But uh, the point is that uh, whether or not, because the court hadn't addressed it before, whether or not the Eighth Amendment, which protects against excessive fines, whether or not that applies to the states. But the way that the Bill of Rights applies to the states is through the 14th Amendment. Wow. Incredible. And does he have a chance? I mean, you, have, you, have you read the, the, the briefs or you just hoping? I, I have not, so I, I only tangentially follow it because it's not my area. But uh, my prediction is that yes, because they've incorporated most of the Bill of Rights to the state. So there are some areas where they haven't, for example, jury trials, whether or not you need a grand jury indictment. Uh, but they started around 100 years ago when they started with uh, the First Amendment. The question was whether or not the First Amendment applies to the states. And the answer was yes, the First Amendment applies to the states. And gradually over the years, they started applying, and it's called incorporation. It's the incorporation doctrine. So that's something we can talk about. But yes, continue, are, yeah, continue we, on because uh, most people just assume that because we're all citizens of the United States that it has to be assumed that <clears throat> these federal laws apply to all citizens, that we live in the states. We don't live in the federal government. We live in United States as Americans. So what is it that, what seems to be, where can, where can some attorney stick his hand in there and uh, debate the opposite? I mean, it, we all live in our 50 respective states, so why is this up in the air? Why, how could it not apply to the states? 
the concern is not whether or not the Eighth Amendment should be applied to the states, but the ramifications. A lot of governments rely upon civil forfeiture. Uh, that's some of the income that comes in. And if that income is taken away, a lot of the police departments are going to lose some of their funding. So uh, the question is, does it set in line? You know, what, what if you're, here's a bad example, what if you're speeding? Can they confiscate your car? That was a question that was asked by, I think, uh, our Ruth Gabe Bader Ginsburg, RBG. She asked that question. How far do we take this concept if we open the door? Because right now they have not applied the Eighth Amendment to the state. So you got to be careful once you, and that gets into a conversation about what's judicial activism. Oh, I get okay, Yeah, I but that civil forfeiture is often effected before the defendant is convicted. Right? That gets to due process. Yep. We talk about the due process clause, right. the equal protection clause, and the privileges and immunities clause, which are all in the 14th Amendment. Absolutely. So it seems to me that it was the same issue in the Kavanaugh hearing. You should be innocent or at least not guilty until proven guilty. So they shouldn't be able to take away your property. They, they shouldn't be able to take away your property before you're convicted in court. So are we, are we live now or is music playing in the background? I'm not sure. Why, why would you think that I would know? I think we're live. Whether or not, because I, I turned off my radio. Okay, no, uh, I are think. Are we live or are we waiting for um, no, we're, music to turn off? We're live. Oh, we're live. Okay. All right, so then uh, I, I should introduce myself, or you, you should introduce me. Absolutely. Adam Levinson is the author of the Statutes, that's three T's, statutesandartists.com website. It focuses on American constitutional and legal history. And he has been a speaker at many places. We found him giving a speech to the Daughters of the American Revolution in Miami Beach. And he's a star in this uh, circuit. So we're happy to have him on The Concrete Conservative to educate us on constitutional legal issues. And considering that one of our main points is a, a proposal for a convention of states to consider amendments of the U.S. Constitution, it's very useful to have Adam. So why don't you tell us? I, I appreciate that, and you got the statutes part right, but the website, and I'll just repeat it, is statutes and stories. Oh, stories, statutes okay. and stories, okay. all one word, and you spell out statutes, and you spell out the and for A-N-D, then you spell out, spell out stories. So statutes and stories, okay. the website, and what the website does is it uses, and the three seconds of background, it uses my law book collection, where I like to say people roll their eyes, but my law books include the Stamp Act of 1765 and the Tea Act of 1773 and the Acts of the First Congress. So I take these old law books, which nobody collects except for me, and I put them online and then I blog about them. And uh, concrete conservatives and uh, compassionate conservatives and uh, all the conservatives, and I, I think a lot of liberals too, understand the importance of appreciating American history. History because that, that's what brings us to today. So that's okay. So, do you have yeah. wait, 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 wait? Now, do you have Blackstone's commentaries on the laws of England? I have not blogged about that, but one day I probably will. Absolutely. And then, how about jo Joseph Stories? On the, the Joseph Story is a uh, Supreme Court justice, and I probably touched on him. Okay. But uh, I have not. Uh, I have not gone on to right. his uh, opinions in depth. Uh, something else, by the way, if you guys have nothing better to do, and this is off the subject. Yep. But uh, back in the day, uh, used to have justices of the justices of the peace, and these were the traveling judges, and some of them weren't really trained as lawyers. And right. In the rural areas, this is when the colonies had just become states. You didn't have courthouses. You had the traveling justices of the peace. Yep. And uh, I blogged about. 
about the Justices of the Peace Manuals, which is very interesting. So if you want to look it up, go to the website and read the history of the Justices of the Peace Manuals, which gives you some idea of what the law was 200 years ago as a practical matter for the man on the road or the woman, um, you know, in the back neighborhoods of, uh, of, the, of the frontier, if you will. If you keep going a little uh, after the Revolution, I know that Abraham Lincoln was a traveling lawyer in central Illinois, and the judges would write circuit to uh, hear cases. And uh, the, the, a, par- a parcel of lawyers would ride along and pick up uh, clients as they could. I don't know if you, if, does your, do, do you reach into the early republic, or are you just focused on the revolutionary and uh, founding fathers? Excellent question. So I start with English history because American history revolves out of English history. Yep. So I start with uh, you know the King George time period. Although today we can go all the way back to the Magna Carta. Yep. If we want to talk about due process, yep. that's one of the components of the 14th Amendment. Right. As I may have mentioned before, it's the 150th anniversary of the 14th Amendment. And part of the 14th Amendment is due process. And due process goes all the way back to the Magna Carta. You guys want to give a, a, a guess on who the king was for the Magna Carta? This is in 1215. John Lackland. Excellent, excellent. So this is King John. So it dates back to the concept of you know, Ed, you know, Ed. Um, I, he's, uh, I've basically not been very happy with him today yep. until right now when he actually he really, keeps he keeps me around for my knowledge. Geez, that was impressive because I have never even heard that king's name before. Okay, so go ahead. King John, and then later they uh, put it in writing and they flesh out what due process means. That's in the 1300s. That's under uh, King Edward. So these ideas, it takes a while for them to get applied to the states, and that's after the Civil War. Right. So now, I forgot what your question was. I sort of got off the top. Okay, a- Adam, let, 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 me, let, me, let me draw, uh, uh, let me make a, a, an observation here that's very applicable to uh, the Miami and the immigrants. Why do Latin Americans come to the U.S.? And it's because in Latin American civilization, there's a lack of respect for the rule of law. And if you go back to why is that, a part of that is the history. England and Spain had different histories. In 1215, the English lords, the big landowners, the thugs of England, were limiting the power of the king, and that helped the liberty grow. At the same time, in 1212, the four biggest thugs in Iberia, Christian thugs, the kings of Portugal, Castile, Aragon, and Navarre, formed an alliance to drive the Moors, the Muslim jihadists, out of southern Spain. uh, There was a big battle with so many flags that it looked like a a naval battle. It was called Navas de Tolosa in 1212, and it broke the power of the Moorish kings and drove them out of Andalusia so that cities like Seville, Cordoba uh, were reconquered by the Christians. So if you want to know why is is rule of law so weak in Latin America and relatively stronger in the U.S., it's it's not genetic. It's the partly is the history, the legal and political history, that at the same time that the English were limiting their king, the Spanish and Portuguese were relying on their king. They needed a strong king to push the jihadists out of the peninsula. And that reconquest continued until 1492. So, you know, that, that, you know when, when people ask me, why are Latin Americans coming to the U.S., the core issue is there's no rule of law in Latin America, or a very weak rule of law. So that means that you can get thrown in prison without due process. It means your property can be confiscated without due process.
So that's just a, a little aside, but that's very relevant for Miami, obviously, with all the Latin immigrants. And I agree with you. These are bedrock principles. And let's explore what the 14th Amendment says, if you want. Sure. The 14th Amendment has three core clauses. And constitutional law, as a lot of us know, it, it's about the clauses that make up the amendments and make up the different paragraphs of the Constitution. So what are the four most important clauses in the 14th Amendment? And I would argue, and I think a lot of lawyers will agree, that the 14th Amendment is one of the most important components of the Constitution, not the most important, but one of the most important. So you have the Equal Protection Clause. We can talk about equal protection. And that's the rule of law. The rule of law is complying with the Equal Protection Clause. It's also another article, or I'm sorry, I shouldn't say article, but another clause in the Equal Protection Clause, in the equal, I'm sorry, another clause in the 14th Amendment is the Due Process Clause, which you mentioned, and there's another one called the Privileges and Immunities Clause. And these three clauses are part of the 14th Amendment. And if you want to talk about the history of the 14th Amendment, this is part of the Civil War history. So the Civil War is fought, it ends in 1865, and uh, my daughter, by the way, is in seventh grade, and she had to learn the amendments to the Constitution because they're learning American civics. So they break down, as people know, that ten, the Ten Amendments are the Bill of Rights, and then 13, 14, and 15 are the Civil Rights Amendments, the Civil, the Civil War Amendments, if you will. Sorry, okay, so you, as you said, the 14th Amendment has the equal protection, which means that any uh, public institution, uh, government, uh, or either at the federal or state level, is required to treat all the citizens equally. Is that correct? That's right. So that's what equal protection means. Everyone has equal rights under the law. That's the equal protection clause, equal rights. And okay. Of so that, one of the that, what that means. Yep. One of the points that we were discussing last week with Professor Gail Harriet from the University of uh, San Diego and also a law school classmate of mine at Chicago was affirmative action. And under affirmative action, a public institution, say the University of Michigan in the uh, Bollinger case, Grutter versus Bollinger, decides that they're going to treat the citizens that are applying for admission di differently according to their race, and that they're going to apply lower standards to certain citizens, uh, mid medium standards to others, and higher standards to others. So do you see a, a conflict uh, with the Equal Protection Clause in these affirmative action uh, policies of public institutions and public universities? So I think it's useful to take a step back so people have the back of the perspective. So I think part of the perspective, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fertile area for discussion and for debate. So it has to do with the way that the court applies tests and how the court interprets the clause. So again, 14th Amendment talks about equal protection, talks about due process, and it talks about privileges and immunities of citizenship. So what you're asking about is how do you apply the anti-discrimination protections and how do you apply these provisions that uh, afford uh, whatever you want to call them, but the advantages or, or affirmative advantages or affirmative action. So there are three tests that the courts apply, and we could get into the weeds here, but there's what's called rational basis review, there's what's called intermediate review, and there's what's called strict scrutiny. So the courts will apply different levels of tests depending upon what they're looking at and what the intent is. So for affirmative action, a part of the discussion of what tests you apply is the intent is not to disadvantage people, the intent is to advantage people, 
have to give a level playing field. And that relates, by the way, to the Civil War. The Civil War, uh, there were, I don't know the number of years, but uh, 200 years worth of slavery. So, yep. uh, And the question is, how long does it take in order to rectify and to remedy the, the implications and the, the consequences and the, and the, the legacy of, of the Civil War? So that, that's a, a debate we could have with historians all day long. But the, the question, and this is an area where different judges uh, have to, this is an evolving area of the law. And you're right, that the University of Michigan case is one of the cases where there's now pushback on affirmative action. And it remains to be seen how the courts will ultimately come down. But uh, gradually things are shifting. And now that Kennedy is no longer on the Supreme Court, uh, it remains to be seen how that will play itself out. But uh, I think there are good arguments that can be made on both sides. And uh, I, I'm not here to, today to talk about oh, okay. affirmative action because, again, there are good arguments that can be made, I yeah. think, on both sides. Yes. And as Chief Justice Roberts said, the way to stop discriminating on the basis of race is to stop discriminating on the basis of race. So we'll see. And uh, But I think you're right. There's a five to four potential uh, conservative majority on the court. And, you know, RBG, there are, there are a lot of prayer groups of uh, Catholic uh, little old ladies praying for the good Lord to deliver us from the wrath of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Like, you know, the, the Israelites prayed for the Lord to deliver them from the wrath of the Pharaoh. So I don't know that she has a lot left. Well, Adam, you know, you don't take offense to any of those comments, considering that, you know, he, that was a very, that was Pointed. a very, very poignant Christian <laughs> comment, and he, you are speaking to Adam, who is Hebrew. That's okay. And Ginsburg is Hebrew. So. <clears throat> Absolutely. And so is Breyer, the other guy. And I'm not, I'm not really accustomed to being an arbiter over uh, identity politics, but that was a real good one. <laughs> it's on a roll, you know? So I have to redeem myself because I've been so reasonable. I'm almost positive are Catholic, so I think you have a total of nine justices on the Supreme Court not to get into identity right. politics. I want to say at least five, yeah. possibly six, are Catholic. Five, and yeah. You have a handful of Jewish justices. Jewish justices. Three. Uh, I'm sorry, three. Three yeah. Jewish justices and the majority are Catholic. So go yep. figure. Is it, yep. is, I think no Protestant. I think that's a beautiful representation. And no Protestant. Representation, if you ask me, as a Catholic. You know, nope. I, think the, yeah. I think the Protestants should shut up for a little bit. Oh, all right. You know, I used to have this uh, statement that, uh, and I, I, maybe perhaps you could uh, clarify, not necessarily today, but I make a statement in my book where I, I think it's wrong for America to assume that it was a white Anglo-Saxon uh, metamorphosis or evolution of the nation. The truth is that because of Louisiana and the, uh, the and Florida and all what they call the the Delta, uh, the Delta Belt nations that eventually became and states, including Texas, people don't realize in the colonial period that there were a lot more citizens in Mexico City than there were in the 13 colonies. Therefore, it's kind of a stretch to say that America evolved solely as a no, no. The origin. ideology of American politics and constitutional law. And British. Yeah, and and not only British, but dissenting Protestant Christians in okay. Britain. But it was dissenting, also, not but Church of it, England. It was also identified as the enemy of the nation, of the liberty of the nation. Therefore, why keep on standing on a soapbox when the nation had Jews, Catholics, and Protestants right. in and, its evolution? And Maryland was a Catholic refugee colony from England. So I, I think Americans, if they were taught correctly, uh, we could set aside our, our religious beliefs and understand that we've, we've been all in this together from the get-go. Absolutely. And I don't think it benefits the nation but to... But the, the real common thread... make a big deal out of the Catholics. Yeah, but the real common thread among, among the Judeo-Christian tradition in America, I think, is respect for the rule of law. 
and that comes from England. But I think all the all Americans have embraced that the importance of the rule of law in in order to preserve our liberty, and our liberty is essential to preserve our prosperity. Okay, that sounds good enough. Okay, Adam, proceed with the more intellectual side of this show. Okay. I'm agreeing with Ed that the bedrock, if you will, of American Anglo-American jurisprudence is from England. Well, one of the big exceptions, by the way, is Louisiana, and we can talk about Louisiana yes. civil code yep. in Louisiana as opposed to the common law system that we inherited for good or bad from England, I think mostly for good. But uh, we, we could talk about it if we wanted some of the cases, and we talked about Kennedy earlier, but the cases that have had a different evolving interpretation of the 14th Amendment, and we could start with, uh, if we wanted to go back far enough, we could talk we could start with, there's a case, this is Gitlow versus New York in 1925, and we touched on it earlier. The question was whether or not the First Amendment applies to the state of New York. And the answer by the court was that, yes, the First Amendment, and we talked earlier how the first ten amendments only applied to the federal government, but now the courts start incorporating or applying the Bill of Rights to the states. Then you have a decision in the 1950s, this is... Um, we could talk about Bollinger versus Sharp, and this is the concept of reverse incorporation. So you incorporate, and here we're getting into weeds again, but when you incorporate, you're applying the Bill of Rights to the states. When you do reverse incorporation, you're applying the 14th Amendment to the federal government. So the, the, the courts have figured out all these different doctrines. Uh, but here's some other examples, by the way, stop me if I'm going too quickly, of, of the courts having evolving interpretations of due process and equal protection. So a lot of us know from uh, early days in elementary school, and this is still taught and should be thought because it's important to know. But Plessy versus Ferguson is a case where this is in the 1890s. Mm -hmm. The court was taking a very limited ruling or a limited interpretation of the 14th Amendment to allow separate but equal, which of course is, uh, is horrendous. And uh, that continued for a while until the famous case of, of Brown versus Board of Education, where they applied a broader interpretation of the Equal Protection Clause to prevent separate but equal. So under Plessy, you were allowed to have Jim Crow in the South, which was a horrible legacy. Brown starts to fix that in the 1950s, but this is uh, this is involving how broadly do we want to interpret due process and equal protection. By the way, for conservatives, Roe versus Wade, and we can talk about Bush versus Gore. We can talk about some of the more recent cases, but Roe versus Wade. Guess what amendments? Roe versus Wade is relying on, and there are some who agree, some who disagree. But uh, let me throw that out to you. What are some of the protections that Roe is based upon? The right to privacy, which is found in the penumbras and emanations of the Constitution. That's right. So the interspace or the penumbras, which is the gaps. So where are these gaps of privacy found where you can infer privacy? Because privacy is not mentioned in the Constitution mm -hmm. as a word. The word privacy isn't mentioned. Or is it mentioned in the amendments, in the Bill of Rights, etc.? Uh, but the protections on privacy are in the First Amendment, the Fourth Amendment, the Ninth Amendment, and the Fourteenth Amendment. So that's mm -hmm. how the court was able to, in row, uh, sort of interpret and to... Uh, to stitch together these privacy protections, so that's the 14th Amendment. Bush versus Gore, which is a case, depending on what side of the political spectrum you're on, you agree with or you disagree with, but what was that case about? It was about equal protection. Equal protection is the 14th Amendment. So Bush versus Gore is whether or not it violates equal protection when you're doing a recount, that you're only doing a recount in some counties or some places and not right. doing it elsewhere. So that's an equal protection question under Bush versus Gore. Yes, and that was... Very important, and I, I sided with uh, Bush in that case because I made a statement earlier in our show that had the Miami-Dade County not uh, held uh, held their ground to not recount, things would have gotten kind of hairy. Out of control. 
would have gotten out of control. It would have been missing ballots and made up ballots, and it would have been a real stain on American uh, election history. But if you can't recount them all, then you can't recount any because then How you have just trust the unequal counts, and that's it. And when you start recounting, that's when the towns, uh, counties like Miami-Dade can get kind of scurrilous. Well, it, uh, I think it's good that after the election, the National Opinion Research Center at the University of Chicago was contracted to actually do a recount, an unofficial recount, and they confirmed that uh, W had won, so that'll do it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, continue, Adam. What's, uh, what else would you like us to uh, consider? Our audience is salivating. You know, on the 14th Amendment, Adam, you might uh, go check out an issue that's going to be coming up this year, and next is going to be the birthright citizenship on Section 1 of Article 14. Do you have a view on that? All right, so let me read the language of the 14th Amendment so everyone has the, yep. the, you won't have it in front of you, but at least you'll hear it, and I'll read it slowly. So the 14th Amendment has five different sections, and this is section one, so it's the first sentence of the 14th Amendment, and it says as follows. So Article 1, I'm sorry, it's the 14th Amendment, section one. It says, all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside, period. That is the first mm -hmm. sentence of the 14th Amendment, and that is the first time that the Constitution defines citizenship. So what does it say? So we talked earlier about how the 14th Amendment has due process, it has equal protection, and it has the privileges and immunities clause. But those are all after that first sentence that I just read, which mm -hmm. is the definition of citizenship, because citizens get the rights to due process, equal protection, and privileges and immunities of citizenship. So what is it defining? It's defining that if you're born here or you're naturalized here, and if you're subject to U.S. jurisdiction, you are a citizen. And that was the first time, as I said, that citizenship was defined. And why did they have to put in that definition? And the answer is that we had just fought the Civil War, and African Americans were not considered citizens. That was the Dred Scott decision from the late 1850s, which I think most people right. should be able to agree was a horrible decision. Mm -hmm. So the 14th Amendment, by putting in that definition, overturned the Dred Scott decision. And mm -hmm. Dred Scott had said that slaves are not citizens, so you can treat them like property. That's why Dred Scott was such a horrible decision. But by defining what a citizen is as a person born here or naturalized here, that then puts in place these rights that follow. So that's a little bit of the background. So the, the fight that's taking place or the dispute that's taking place, and again, the courts are going to have to work this way out on birthright citizenship, is if you're, and we could have a separate conversation about birthright citizenship, but uh, how do you apply that? sentence. And the issue is that the U.S. Supreme Court, at least, has not definitively answered birthright citizenship. I happen to have an opinion on it, but ultimately the court's going to have to make that decision. But the, the plain language is if you're born here or you're naturalized here, or if you are subject to the jurisdiction thereof, if you've crossed the border and you're in the United States, that's the argument for why the child who has been born to an alien who crosses a border is born in the United States. And the plain language says if all persons born or naturalized are citizens. So that's the first sentence of the 14th Amendment. Well, uh, oh, I got a point here okay. that had to have been considered when the 14th Amendment was passed that someone had to have the knowledge and the vision to understand that an American could be serving in a, an American corporation overseas, right. possibly have children while he's running an American Th company. That was the case with Ted Cruz, who was born in Calgary, so, while his mother, an American born not, uh, born in America, was uh, working in Calgary. Right. So you can't discourage 
someone for uh, making uh, AMC Jeeps in Brazil, you can't encourage that American from running okay, AMC okay, in Brazil. But, Okay, but what about the the child of a of of say uh, diplomats who are in Washington D.C. from England and they have a child while there? Is that child considered a U.S. citizen? So uh, correct, as long as one of the parents is an American. No, 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 no. These are two English parents who are here. Uh, the 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 husband say is a, a foreign service officer. The mother is here. And they're English. They're English subjects. They have a child here. Or from Guyana or... Wherever, Guyana. yeah. Yeah, see, that's... Well, at thing, at Christmas, which I've invited uh, Manny to, we're going to have a friend of my wife's, and she is uh, the daughter of a Persian-Iranian diplomat. She was born in San Francisco around 1960, while he was uh, stationed in San Francisco, and she has American citizenship, even though... He was a diplomat with the Iranian Civil uh, Foreign Service, and he was later transferred to Hong Kong, and he went back to Tehran and the revolution and all that. But that's an example of where she has been held to be a U.S. citizen. So I wonder if the the court, the the five to four court that we have now, will continue to hold that the daughter of a diplomat, two Persian diplomats in San Francisco have a daughter, and then she's entitled to U.S. citizenship. What do you think of that? Or, I'm going to point out to you, it may make a difference if she was born or delivered in the embassy or in a U.S. hospital. U.S. hospital. The question is, was she sub subject to the jurisdiction thereof when she was born? But I'm not an immigration lawyer. Right. But as long as it was in America and not an embassy, then I think she was subject to U.S. jurisdiction, so she falls she's, under that. First okay, now those diplomats were here, were here lawfully. The question that comes, what if the person here, the mother, comes here unlawfully? Maybe that, Putting maybe not. On the debate over birth rates right, general. maybe yeah. not. And that's then what about mothers? What about mothers who come here uh, for a week, to, at the final week, to deliver a baby and go back? And I've known, I've yeah, talked Chinese to not just Chinese. I have been in in Bogota, Colombia, with some of the leading tax lawyers in Colombia, and part of their uh, tax strategy for wealthy Colombians is that the mothers should come to Miami, have the child so that the child will have U.S. citizenship, so that if they ever need to leave Colombia, he'll be able to, to enter as a U.S. citizen and bring his family along. Think about that. It's not so just... We, we, we could spend a lot of time parsing the language, but I'm just going to refer you back without giving a definitive answer because it's up to the courts. But it says all persons and all... You don't have to have much interpretive authority to figure right. out what all means. It says all persons born... And then it goes on to say, and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens. And that was the first okay. time citizenship was defined. And that's been the law of yep. the 14th Amendment since 1866 is when the law was written. And remember the way amendments work. And we talked about this prior discussions. Uh, and uh, we'll continue yep. talking about how amendments work. But they're proposed either by Congress or in conventions. And then they have to be ratified. So it was proposed in 1866. It was ratified in 1868. That's why we're now uh, coming up on the 104 in the 105. 50th anniversary of the 14th Amendment. And in addition, I think there was legislative history that would suggest that the senators who were debating the uh, new amendment did not intend for the sons and daughters of diplomats to be included. Is there anything in the diaries? In the yeah, diaries? in the legislative history, in the debates in, in the Senate, uh, there is a suggestion of that. So we'll see what the court decides. Wow. 
Yeah, because uh, it has to be set a law by this time, and then there's the other cat that says, no, maybe it should be... Written. Hasn't been considered. So in all this time, we haven't had issues... It hasn't been a big issue. I mean, there wasn't that much immigration from 24 until 65. But there was uh, from 1900 to 24. There was right, a lot but, of Chinese immigrants. Right, coming. there were. Yep, that's At right. The turn of the but but they those people came to work. See the the and real the the welfare state is what in, was expanded by the Great Society in 1965. At the same time, immigration was opened up. So right now, half of all immigrants, legal and illegal, are collecting welfare. And I want to give another pitch for statutesandstories.com because you mentioned the Chinese Exclusionary Act. Yep. Although you didn't say it by name. So the website um, takes good laws in American history to blog about. It also <laughs> takes bad laws in American history to right. write about. Because I think when you're talking about history, you have to look at all sides of the equation and you have to look at the good and the bad and how far we've come. And don't get us wrong, you know, the, we have come a long way. So what's the point? So if you wanted to learn more about the Chinese Exclusion Act of, of I don't know the date offhand, but it's on the website, feel free to go to statutesandstories.com and you can read about the Chinese Exclusion Act. And that's an example of a bad law, and thankfully that's been taken off the books. Now, when people do blog on your site, um, how often do you refute or rebut or agree with those comments? Can they expect you to reply to them uh, within a day or a week or not at all? So again, thank you for that question. So it's a relatively new website. It's only been around for approximately two years. And there's a, a place where people can comment. In fact, there's a recent comment from uh, from someone that you guys know very well on the website, so feel free to check it out. So I'm a busy guy because during the day I'm a lawyer, but uh, on the nights and weekends and when I see comments, I will res respond sometimes to comments. But it's mainly for people to you know give their own opinions on the law and on the history and on the statutes and uh, not to spend too much time plugging the site. But I don't want the website to be my opinion. I want the website to give the law. You can read the actual law. You can read the primary sources. So, for example, I think we mentioned last week we were talking about the Battle of Yorktown. Yep. So I have um, you know, further reading people can do from the diaries of the soldiers at the Battle of Yorktown. When you talk about legislative history, so people can read the actual debates before Congress or the Constitutional Convention. So the website is a tool for people to use uh, to look at the old laws, to see how they've been interpreted, and to learn the history and the primary sources rather than just my opinion but it's a way for people to comment. So, so far there aren't that many comments, but over time we get more and more comments. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I think I, I had a comment on George Herbert Walker Bush. Well, you know, that's uh, may he rest <laughs> in peace. All right, let's go back to the colonial period. Uh, Adam, uh, we've got another, what, uh, 22 minutes together, so it's all, it, the, the platform is yours. I, you know, I make comments only when I feel that I need to uh, stand up for my my own <laughs> intellect, but other than that, I really enjoy just listening to you. So have at it. All right. So rather than going back to the colonial period, I'm going to bring us back to the Civil War because the 14th Amendment grows out of the Civil War. Mm -hmm. You know the history of how this firing on Fort Sumter. This is 1861. Emancipation Proclamation is 1863, January 1. 1863 is when the Emancipation Proclamation applies. We can talk about what the Emancipation Proclamation does. Well, okay, wait a minute. Here's something here from my own yep. intellect. Um, I believe that the Emancipation Proclamation was a necessity because the original... Uh, the, the original instigation for starting the war was the tax, not slavery, and therefore... Uh, what do you so, mean the tax? There was a tax that the North was uh, excessively uh, levying against the South. The South was protesting, and that's what broke out in the Civil War. 
when the soldiers stopped wanting to fight over the tax because nobody wanted to die for the tax, that's when Lincoln came out with the enact. Uh, what tax was this? Um, well, I believe it was on it was on cotton goods, raw cotton goods, and th double taxing the finished product from cotton. So the South started exporting to uh, uh, unbelievably to the Czar. And they had like this gauntlet. I think the first battle in the Civil War was not even a land battle. It was a naval battle, uh, trying to stop those uh, raw cottons from leaving the the, uh, the the South to to be exported instead of uh, going to the mills in the North for finished product. And uh, you mean I, tariffs? No. Okay, tariffs. Yeah. Um, okay. Excuse me if I say wrong tax. I don't think it was the. I don't think the issue was the tariff for the export. I believe they just wanted to shut it down, period, because they mm -hmm. wanted that cotton to go to the north, not abroad. And then, apparently, the soldiers, uh, there was a certain amount of mutiny going on, and to and to avert a, a total disaster, Lincoln came out with the Emancipation Proclamation and reminded people why you elected me uh, about, about the issues concerning slavery. And he even walked among the dead on battlefields where he it really... Resonated with the folks when the word got out because I guess there was no other way. The word had to get out through uh, gossip and innuendo that he really was suffering, and he inspired the North to, you know, to pull by the bootstraps and make it about human beings and individual liberty. And then it became the war of uh, to free the slaves, but it wasn't that that wasn't the case originally. Now, are you? Can you agree with that or refute it entirely? Because so I want to be careful and I want to be respectful with you, Manny. But uh, I, I disagree. If right. anyone were to suggest that the Civil War were not primarily about slavery, it was about right. states' rights. That was a part of it, but I think it was primarily. And how can, how can I support that? And I would say, um, you know, the, the shots were fired on Fort Sumter. And the reason why the South wanted to succeed is because, or secede, and it's spelled differently than the different ways yep. you can spell. People have difficulty understanding what secede means. But the reason why the South was breaking away from the North was because Lincoln did not want slavery to be extended, and there right. was a, ultimately it was a battle over slavery. But also look and see at the convention. The when Jefferson Davis, and I'm not an expert on the Civil War, when uh, when the Confederacy starts forming, look at the reasons that were given uh, at the, and I don't know the, the date. But in that in that time frame, in the in the mid 1860s, after the battles, the shots were fired at the, the, the federal fort, which is Fort Sumter in South Carolina. Uh, the reasons that were given by the South for why they were seceding was primarily because they didn't want the, their favorite institution of slavery to, to, they wanted those rights to be protected, and they thought it was states' rights that protected slavery, among other things. So uh, I, I think that the most historians yeah. uh, looking at primary sources would say that slavery is right up front and center yeah. and why the Civil War is being fought. But you're right, there were, there's a background of, of a resistance. Uh, there were disagreements with John Calhoun, by the way. Right. And that's something else that we talk about on the website. In the 1830s, you know, I think it was 1836, was the Tariff of Abominations. And that may be one of the things that you're also referring to. Yes, I believe so. That were that were evolving and that were that were starting to grow uh, between the North and South over tax policy and tariff policy. So you're absolutely right. right. Those were some of the areas where there were fault lines that were emerging in the 1830s. Uh, and then Andrew Jackson basically has to threaten the states, the South, that, that he will invade if they don't follow the federal law that had been passed to collect the tariffs. So that was some of the background. That was some of the noise.
face in the background. But ultimately, I think the Civil War, and, and I'm, I'm not here today to talk about the Civil War uh, from the standpoint of why the state seceded, but I, I think uh, most uh, you know, generally respected historians uh, will agree that it is because of slavery and states' rights. Yeah, it, I, and Lincoln was not an abolitionist. Seward was an abolitionist, and he could not get the Republican nomination in Chicago in 1860. So in the third round, Lincoln won the vote. Seward got the most votes in the first round, didn't get a majority. So Lincoln's job, and what he announced was his job was to restrict the growth of slavery. He thought that slavery would die of its own irrationality in the South. The South did not want to have its favorite institution restricted like that, and that's why they would rather declare war than be limited in their ability to expand, because they wanted to expand slavery into the, all the way to the West, into Central America, into, into Cuba, which was already slave, but take it over, Central America. So the South was in a real expansionist mode, and what Lincoln's policy was basically containment. And the South rebelled against that, and that's when the war came. So I, I percent correct. So yeah, Lincoln yeah. was not saying that we're going to outlaw slavery right. when he was first elected. He didn't want it to spread. Right. But once the South seceded, it was the opportunity. Right. Once we started winning some of the battles, because he didn't want to do the Emancipation Proclamation, as I said before, it was effective January one, and we could talk about who it applied to. But he didn't want to announce it, and he was thinking about it in the 1862 time frame. But he wanted it to be announced in connection with some battlefield victories. So it was only after Antietam right. that he announced that we would be doing freeing of the slaves, which became effective January 1 of, of 1863, but only in the areas that were under military control by the, uh, by the Army and in the areas that were in rebellion. But the Emancipation Proclamation, by its terms, did not apply to the border states right. or to slaves who were in the north in the areas where you did have slavery in the north, and there, and there were a handful of areas. It took the 15th Amendment, and we, could, we should talk about all of the Civil War amendments, and I think that's a perfect segue. So we talked about the 13th Amendment which outlawed slavery, um, this was 1865, it's the 13th Amendment, outlawed slavery everywhere, Emancipation Proclamation, 1863, only outlaw slavery in the areas that are under rebellion, then the 14th Amendment protects the rights of former slaves because the southern states had started putting in place these black codes, and that's what they were called, black codes, which treated people as if they were slaves, even though they had outlawed slavery, they were sort of reinstituting slavery under these very horrific black codes is what they were called. And then the 15th Amendment, when you continue through the succession of the of the Civil Rights Amendments, uh, what does the 15th Amendment do? And the 15th Amendment says the former slaves who are now freed by the 13th Amendment, who are given equal protection and due process rights under the 14th Amendment, 15th Amendment gives them the right to vote. But that wasn't until 1870. So the southern states were still outlawing voting by the citizens who became citizens with the 14th Amendment. It took the 15th Amendment to say that you have to have the right to vote because you're citizens. And of course, you had to fight the civil rights battles in the 1960s. And some people say that we're still fighting those battles to allow well, everyone to vote who are citizens. Well, uh, also, you have the backdrop that since they were treasonous states on the losing side of the Civil War, the federal government had to appoint its senators, correct, in order to ratify the 13th, 14th, and 15th because the present. Uh, southern state senators were still rebellious, and even though they had lost, they were not. They were threatening not to vote for any of these amendments, and I believe the federal government uh, basically appointed the, their senators. So that's that was six senators for it to pass ratification. Is that correct? 
So I think, Manny, without realizing it, you're reading from Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. So we talked about Section 1, which is defining citizenship, which is the Due Process Clause, the Equal Protection Clause, and the Privileges and Immunities Clause. But there were other sections of the 14th Amendment. And uh, let me tell you about the irony of the Civil War. So if we get back all the way to the Constitution, the Constitution had all kinds of compromises in it. One of the compromises is the Electoral College. One of the compromises, which is the Great Compromise, is the Senate is two from each state, and the House of Representatives is popularly elected. So that was the Connecticut Compromise or the Great Compromise. But there are lots of compromises in the Constitution. And one of the compromises that I think we all look at and uh, we're, we're ashamed about it was the Three-Fifths Compromise. So the Three-Fifths Compromise meant that slaves in the South only counted as three-fifths of a person. So that was one of the examples we can point to as uh, we've come a long way. And it took the Civil War to get rid of that Three-Fifths Compromise to make a person who was a citizen and a full person. Why am I mentioning that? And the answer is, here's the irony of the Civil War. The North wins the war. And under the old version before the 14th Amendment and the 13th Amendment, the South only got three-fifths of a vote, and some of the states, up to half or more of the population, were former slaves. Yeah. Once the war mm -hmm. is over, they're no longer three-fifths of a person, they were a full person. So the irony was that the northern states um, are going to be outvoted now if they give the southern states the ability uh, to give a, a full citizenship to the, uh, as, as was required to be done. Yeah. Uh, so they're going to they're be voted out of office. So that's why they put in these other paragraphs into the 14th Amendment saying that if you had been a rebel and if you had taken an oath of allegiance to the Confederacy, then you can't run for office. So that is uh, paragraph number or section number three. You also had language about the debts from this is all no longer applicable, uh, but it's in the 14th Amendment. So section four deals with the Confederacy debts that uh, the federal government's not going to stand by and we're not going to pay for the Confederate debts. So that's some of the other language which at the time was controversial, which is also in the 14th Amendment. Good. So I'm, I'm now satisfied with that response because people have to remember that the losing side were officially treasonous states, and therefore they yep. cannot be treated equally in this oddity of civil war, which is about equality. So, yeah, I love the ironies because they're great. Those are real great ironies. But at least they disqualified the treasonous senators and representatives of Congress. Yeah. Right. If they had taken an oath to right. the Confederacy. Because the vice president. they had engaged in insurrection or right. rebellion. Lincoln's second vice president was a Union loyal Democrat from Tennessee, a Confederate state, Andrew Johnson. And so he. We could spend a lot of time talking about Andrew Johnson, so here's a little bit of trivia for you. Mm -hmm. So you're exactly right. Andrew Johnson is a Southern Democrat because Lincoln wanted to have a, a you know, whatever you want to call it, a ticket that would appeal yep. to um, not just. Uh, not just hardcore Republicans, he wanted an expansive, because he realized reconstruction would happen. Yep. He wanted to have a, a ticket that people could embrace. The problem was, as we know, that he gets killed, he gets assassinated. This is in April of 1865. And Johnson, uh, Andrew Johnson, um, was very sympathetic to the South. And he was willing to let the South come in without protecting the rights of the newly freed African Americans. Uh, so uh, let's talk about impeachment. So, uh, and we can. This is something that I've blogged about on the website. So Andrew Johnson, and here's the question I'll ask you, what was the basis of impeaching? And he was impeached in the House. He was not convicted in the Senate. What was the basis during this period where there was a lot of uh, disputes between the North and South after the war, the Reconstruction period, what was the basis for impeaching Andrew Johnson, who was the vice president who, who succeeded and uh, who succeeded Abraham Lincoln? Nope, we draw a blank here. 
Okay, so it's a very obscure little fact, and it set a very important precedent, which is that you should not be impeaching a president for political differences. You should only impeach them for crimes. That was the precedent that was set, and uh, it was one single vote. So Johnson mm-hmm. gets impeached in the House, it goes to the Senate, and by a vote of one person, they did not get the necessary two-thirds to convict. But the answer to the question is... A la Bill Clinton. I'm sorry? A la Bill Clinton. Yeah, right. I think you survived this Andrew season. Johnson did not get any uh, blowjobs in the oral office, so Why that's okay. Why did you have to go there? Ooh, okay. constitutional yeah. All right. Law. Constitutional God. law. All right. All right. Fire that stupid All right. Go ahead. Oh, God. So the law was the Tenure in Office Act. Uh. It had to do with whether or not and it had to do with the background of Johnson wants to get rid of Lincoln's cabinet. Mm-hmm. So the radical Republican, that's what they call themselves, the radical Republicans who control the House and the Senate wanted to make sure that Lincoln's cabinet would be protected. And Andrew Johnson, who was a Democrat and very sympathetic to the South, was uh, looking forward to firing a lot of Lincoln's cabinet and the members who worked for the federal government. So they adopted a law, which was called the Tenure in Office Act, which prohibited a president from firing a member of the cabinet without Senate approval. And that led... And, of course, Andrew Johnson disagreed with that because he wanted to have a cabinet that would be sympathetic to what he wanted to do. So he fired, I think it was the Secretary of War. And, again, this is posted on the website. There's a blog talking about the Tenure in Office Act, which was the basis for the Andrew Johnson impeachment, but he was not convicted. It It would seem that that act is probably unconstitutional to require the president to get the consent of Congress or of the Senate before he can remove a cabinet officer uh, I know that the, the appointing a cabinet officer requires the advice and consent of the Senate, but I would think that uh, prohibiting the president from firing a cabinet officer would I would I don't think it's it's been decided, but I would guess it's unconstitutional. That is a good question, and that was Andrew Johnson's defense, which is, as president, he's allowed to test the law. Right. He's allowed to disagree with the law, have it go up the channels of appeal from a federal district court to a intermediate court of appeal and to the Supreme Court. That's not a criminal violation for him to challenge the law. Right. That was the basis of why he was impeached. So that set and forced the precedent that in order to be impeached, it has to be a criminal law. At least that was the lesson that was learned from the mid-1860s when Andrew Johnson was impeached in the House, but not convicted in the Senate. Okay, but those are supposed to be for high crimes and misdemeanors, isn't that? Isn't that the standard in the Constitution? Impeach. Exactly right. So the question is, what is a high crime and what is a misdemeanor? And what I'm throwing out to you is that uh, a lot of the historians who are very familiar with uh, the debate and the trial in the 1860s of Andrew Johnson, and we've gotten very far away from the 14th Amendment, but yep. it's all part of that same time period. Uh, you know, I think the argument is that the result of that failure to convict was that he had not committed a crime. Right. You know, he was refusing to follow a law, but it was not a crime. Right. And that's a topical subject that we may be revisiting. Who knows? Well, and the other the other example recently here in South Florida is Congressman Alcee Hastings, who was a federal judge who was impeached and convicted. And in that case, I guess he had committed a crime because he had uh, engaged in corruption. Is that correct? Do you know the facts on that? I don't know the specifics of the reasons why Congressman Elsie Hastings was convicted, but you're right. He was convicted. I believe he was impeached, and one of my law school professors yep. represented him you know, in the House or in the Senate during those proceedings, but I don't know the specifics of, of what happened. But well, it's, it's, it's good that you don't, because I like to keep you... In the, or in the past, not in the oh, present. Oh, come on. Because you're... you're the uh, point of studying the past is so you can understand the present. Well, I think the audience is probably more 
Uh, no, that's fine. More, Go ahead. More Go ahead. About listening to uh, Adam's resources from the past, because most of us are not as old as you, and we weren't alive in the past. No, no, no. Come on. Come on. So, Adam, do we have? Because I want to give a plug to a institution that I think uh, everybody can agree is a very worthwhile organization if you love history. Yep. What's that? Okay, so the National Constitution Center. Yes. And some of you may have seen pictures, and they're celebrating the 150th anniversary of the Constitution. They're located in Philadelphia. They have a museum that's called, I think, the We, what's it called? It's the Museum of We the People. And it's in, they have a Signers Hall, is my point. And their Signers Hall has bronze statues yep. of the different founding fathers. And it's a wonderful opportunity to see what, you know, Alexander Hamilton looked like and what. Jefferson and all the founding fathers are in that room, and you can take pictures with the bronze statutes, all or statute, yeah, statutes, all in that uh, statues, all in that room. And what's my point? It's a nonpartisan organization. It was created by Congress to do what? And the answer is to disseminate information about the Constitution on a nonpartisan basis. So that's an example of an organization which is all interested in teaching about the amendments and about the Constitution. And uh, from some of their literature, they refer to the Fourteenth Amendment and the Civil War amendments as the second founding because you know we started with the Declaration of Independence and we had to start again or a fresh start or a new start with the Civil War. You know, looking to the Constitution and the Declaration of Rights as really applying to everybody equally. And uh, I would argue that the 1860s was not the second founding. I would argue, and we may have talked about this at a prior phone call, I, I think the 1860s was the third founding, because in my mind, the Declaration was the first founding, the Constitution was the second founding, which is Alexander Hamilton. Yep. I, I may have mentioned to you one of my favorite books is Joseph Ellis. He's a very well-respected historian, and uh, one of my favorite books is referred to as the Quartet, it's the title. And he talks about how four founding fathers, Hamilton, Jefferson, Washington, and John Jay, were able to, uh, and he calls it the second founding, when we, we did the Constitutional Convention in 1867, and we, we uh, we moved from the Articles of Confederation with 13 states who really acted as 13 separate countries, couldn't get along, and it was unworkable because there was no national government, there was no cohesion, and there was unraveling, which is why the British thought our experiment in democracy would fail. But we re rejuvenated or re put, you know, put, put more emphasis into and uh, refreshed uh, that founding with 1867, that's the Constitutional Convention, and then the states eventually ratified the Constitution, 1889. That's no, 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 17. But I wanted to make a couple of points that I agree with you. First of all, uh, when we talked to um, one of our fellow convention staters, Brenda McMenamin, who's a homeschooler, and she does a lot of this American history, I tell her that the Constitution is the tubing and the Declaration is the poetry of American history. 
And I think that that's uh, consistent with what you said. The Constitution provides the framework. It was a, full of compromises. But the Declaration really uh, declares the aspirations of the American Republic. Well, uh, instead of the poetry, you should say the inspiration. The inspiration, yes. The uh, arms, absolutely. And then the other point is I have visited the National Constitution Center. I used to live up in Scarsdale, New York, and I took my two kids uh, about you know, 10 or 12 years ago when they were still relatively young. And I think I agree with you. It's a great place. And I've been to that room with all the statutes, and it's very impressive. So that's a good plug. I think a lot of historians, and I would agree with them. Uh, and I agree with you guys that the Declaration is aspirational. Uh, that's it's the, it's the language of Jefferson. That's where we want to be. Unfortunately, it wasn't the reality at the time, and we're heading in that direction. It then took the, um, you know, the Civil Rights Acts and the Civil War in order to put some of that into actual practice. And uh, I've heard historians say that we want to live in the world of Jefferson, but we actually live in the world of Hamilton. Right. Uh, because Hamilton, uh, that's a whole separate conversation. Not that Hamilton was discriminating. In fact, Hamilton was an abolitionist. Right. But, uh, you know, the, the, the people say that Jefferson was the aspiration, but Hamilton was the one that was part of that group before who actually translated the Declaration into actual uh, action. Well, I think my final comments would be that, uh, you know, when you said, when you talked about Johnson uh, being considering impeachment and uh, the precedent was set that you can only impeach through, for, through crimes, not because of political differences, I think uh, our audience needs to understand that when they want to, uh, when they want to impeach the President of the United States today over really uh, innocuous, stupid, personal stuff that yeah, he had. has to be over crimes, yeah. Yeah, um, we have to start taking ourselves more seriously, and we're, we're hoping that shows like this one, um, which, um, you know, it's the Concrete Conservatives today, but this little... We have to give it a name this hour after the Concrete Conservative because I think it's just got to be Statues and Stories. Statues and Stories, with, yep. With Adam. Mm -hmm. um, we got to find some kind of catchy way to say it because uh, I think there's a lot to learn with what you said, Adam, and I think the audience out there who's listening to us have got to realize you've got to man up and you got a woman up and be a little bit more mature about your flippant comments about how to impeach. And that, and that applies to both political parties because... This is basically the revenge of the Bill Clinton impeachment. And I think they were, the left is doing it to Trump, what, what the right did to Bill. And they were both wrong. And they're both going to pay for it because most people who love this country take impeachment very seriously. Mm -hmm. And uh, even if you're not a knowledgeable person about government, you love the fact that we're a free country and everybody loves their president. Well, no what. remember what Mark said about history. It repeats itself. First time is tragedy. Second time is farce. So we have, we're going to have a, a farce here. I'm not sure we can avoid repeating it, but well, Adam, uh, we'll be ready. Our, uh, what would be your, your closing statement? I made mine and Ed made his, so you're the final closing statement. My final closing statement would be to go back to where we started, which is the 14th Amendment. The 14th Amendment has equal protection. It has due process. The president is entitled to due process. But the verdict is still out on whether or not there was a crime. And I don't want to prejudge until that's what due process is about, giving a fair process and not prejudging. But the verdict is still out. That yep. makes sense to me. So say, say goodbye, everyone. Stay free, my friends. You know, we're basically, we'll be back here on Monday for the Concrete Conservative here on WSQF. 94.5. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Adam.
ACDC Back in the Black. If you like our programming on WSQF 94.5 in Key Biscayne, you can also hear us very far away nationwide, WSQFradio.com. And if you like our audio files and our subject matter, subscribe to YouTube Mac on the Rock Rampage. Take care and stay free.